What's going on, guys? Don't change the channel. Your eyes are not deceiving you. We genuinely are back. I genuinely am back to 100%. I, can, I sound like a normal human being again. Um, welcome to the 90... I want to say fifth, because we didn't actually give you a show last week, but you got an interview. The show is the edition and the interview. So welcome to the 95th edition of the Chronicles of Podcast. And Jamie, trying to think back, how do we do this again? Um, I do believe that somewhere in the vicinity of this area that we host and do a show in, um, are the Chronicles of Jennifer Batten? <laughs> yeah, they are, baby. Absolutely delicious. Well, what are we all waiting here for? Oh, yeah, for me to do something. Hit it! there you're about to enjoy the chronicles of tom and jamie hi everyone i'm kevin Batten. hi guys my name's annabelle knight hello this is becky baldwin hello i'm chesney hey what's up everyone this is brayden from say we can fly you can't pretend to be awake tom you're right yeah why juventus won earlier what there's only one man those aliens are going to be scared of it's fucking brock lesnar <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 95th edition of the Chronicles of Podcast. And the Chronicles of Jennifer Batten. It is I, the bearded brummy Jamie, and joining me, as always, as always, is this handsome fella right here. For those of you that are unaware, he said as really high pitchedly, and the song he sang was the bad guitar riff. Beat it, beat it. Not bad. Was it beat it? It was beat it. It was beat it. That's me in reverse. It was the beat it guitar riff that he used in that thing. Yes, we are back. It's the Scotsman Tom sounding back to normal, back to 100% after. The most traumatic dental surgery I think anybody on this planet has ever witnessed. And I'm talking about people that actually self-extract. <laughs> Although, actually, I should point out that back because I read a news story today about a girl who sadly lost her life because she got really high on cocaine and removed five of her teeth herself. Now, whether the news story was true or not, what? I don't know. But never do that, kids. All right? If you're Welcome gonna have, back. if you're gonna do, if you're gonna do any removal of any dental work in any way, shape, or form, please seek a professional. Please don't do it yourself, okay? Yeah. So, um, yes, nice, we're nice back. Bit of health we're... advice to start as well. Bring absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but we're back, ninety fifth edition. Jennifer Bat on the show this week, and to keep up with the morbid talk, Jamie. Okay. <laughs> have you ever thought about what song you want played at your funeral? Weirdly, yes. Let's, let's, let's have a conversation, shall we? I don't think you're alone in this. I think a lot of people have. What would you yeah. have? Uh, I've always said I want to be... If I'm going to be cremated, I want Fire by the Crazy World of Arthur Brown to play. Oh, of course you do. I, course. I was expecting... I was expecting like a serious, like a general, actual, proper conversation. Oh, no, no, no. Fuck Not, I'm Charles. I want a T-Rex to play my funeral. Oh, that'd be amazing. I want people to laugh and be like, yeah, that's Jamie. And same way, if I'm being buried, I want Deeper Underground by Jumeirah Corps playing. Oh, for Jesus Christ. And if I can, 
as I'm being lowered into the ground afterwards, when people are mourning and everyone stood there and throwing dirt in the coffin, I want a choir of children singing God gave rock and roll to you by Kiss, because I think I deserve that. Okay, right. Okay. Now, that was the most genuine answer. I don't know why I thought I'd get a proper serious conversation out of this, to be quite honest with you. I'm genuinely serious. That is what I want. I'm not joking. No, I know. No, no, I'm <laughs> fully aware. I am fully aware that's exactly what you'd want. My When I first asked the question, though, my brain didn't go, hang on a second. You might get some really ridiculous answers here. Um, okay. Not to shit in your chips. But you are. But God doesn't exist. Well, there is. So he can't give you rock and roll. Yeah, well, Kiss, Kiss gave rock and roll to you. Because that's who's performed said track well, and I like the song, right? <laughs> that's all. Okay, well, well, I mean, I didn't. That's fair. That's fair. That's what he wants. That's what he gets. It's out now out there for the universe. That's out in the universe now, so you know. Um, but the problem is, Jamie, what happens if it gets mixed up? You're gonna be dead. You have no idea. So what if you get cremated and it's like I'm going deeper and the coffin goes, man, that's a fucking <laughs> No, no, I wanted fire, you fuckers. <laughs> I thought he was dead. Whoever programmed the music, I'm coming back to haunt you bastards. <laughs> I'm only 42, you fuckers. <laughs> Get me out of here. It's not funny. Anyway, um, I I genuinely thought about this properly. Why? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and there's a song in Final Fantasy X by a guy, a guy I, I'm not going to pronounce his surname, but he's called Nobu is his first name. Um, I don't want to completely butcher um, <laughs> his surname. So, But he's done a song. It's, uh, Final Fantasy X is based in a place called Zanakand. Um, and the song is called Zanakand. And it's violins and orchestral. And it's fucking gorgeous. And it's a beautiful song. And I just want... It's really... It starts really like quiet and piano and violin and like all chill and then just builds up this massive huge like baba and i thought that was quite a good way of like people walking in and be like oh so somber so lovely so and then it's like huge drums and bassoons and and god knows what else and then all this all this shit that starts going everyone's like fucking hell and it's all orchestra and choral it's lush it's absolutely stunning um so i highly it's on yeah spotify so if you can find nobu insert surname here uh he has a track called zanakand which is from final fantasy 10 which is absolutely stunning okay. so i highly highly recommend um but in all seriousness when it comes to that i've always said i actually don't care i'm dead so whatever makes my loved ones feel better do that because don't I you have to sort of care me. though but don't you have to care though like, like i i sort of would wouldn't you want it to be like a spec not a spectacle <laughs> that sounds weird like He's dead. It's like jugglers start coming in, you know, like circus clowns everywhere, like and stuff. That would be amazing. I knew you'd say that. That's such a Jamie response again. Um. Anyway, um, should we open up to story time with Tom? Oh, it's been a while. Yes, please. A uh, a teacher spoke to his primary school year one kids. Um, about what is the best thing that's ever happened to them. Okay. okay. So we've got some answers. It's a thread. So the, the teacher is called Mr. Poynton. I asked my year one classes, what's the best thing that has ever happened to you? And here is my analysis. Are you ready? Go on. 
So first person we spoke to, he spoke to even, was Alice. And she said, bubblegum ice cream. I like you, Alice. The, the kids genuinely applauded this as if she was Nelson Mandela on the walk to freedom or discovered the cure for Alzheimer's. I can't understand why they're so gassed, but I suppose the fusing of two different sweets has just blown their tiny little minds. What makes it funny? Olivia fucking loves bubblegum ice cream. Oh, really? <laughs> and she's just finished year one, so... I guess it must be one of those things as a kid. It's like, you would never put those two together? No. Mind you, she didn't try to blow through the ice cream, did she? No, no, luckily no. Good. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, but no. <laughs> and why is it always blue? I don't know. That's a very good question. Bubblegum's not always blue. It's just weird how it's always blue, but it's just odd. Yeah. Most bubblegums and chewing gums are actually white when you take them out of your mouth, so should it be white? Come on, ice cream companies. It's not called blue ball gum. Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> next child. <laughs> Katie. She said, being born. Billions of years of evolution and ancestry are responsible for you being here. In this moment, Right now, giving you complex thoughts and feelings. So why would Katie say something trivial like bloody ice cream? She's right. You are a miracle. So enjoy it. (laughs) (sighs) Child number three. Jack. Do you know what his best ever day of his life was? Go on, Jack. Give it to me. What you got? Bombing in a swimming pool and didn't get told off. Yes, Jack. Yes, Jack. Let's look at this from Jack's perspective. Imagine being six and being such a stealthy assassin that even with a bomb, the most explosive pool jump, might I add, the lifeguard has absolutely no idea. Jack's a mad lad. I wish I was him. We all look up to Jack. He's a very brave man. I like it. He's a rebel. Or we like. Go on, Jack. You legend. Toby. When I had a McDonald's and got two toys instead of one. Toby's living the dream. Some of the class gasped at this. (laughs) Some cheered. I definitely heard some blasphemy. But overall, Toby knew this was his moment and he grabbed it with both hands. What a day for the young man. Stuff of legends. (laughs) Toby's the luckiest kid on the planet. I, I feel for him. I think that's great. Yeah. He's never going to get a better day. Two toys. I know. It's obviously fell in and they didn't realise. Toys used to be so great and happened to me. Now they're shit. Shit, you know, Absolute crap. But so like poor. Them. Emma. She's up next. When I got to see my nana. For context, Emma's nana <laughs> lives in Australia and is old <laughs> and feeble which obviously the pandemic has stopped families from really being with each other. So I'm happy for Emma. They met at the airport and they had a big, big hug. Sweet moment. That's adorable. I like that. Good for you, Emma. We have four children left. I'll go through a bit faster because obviously we're wasting some seriously valuable time here. Ravi, my baby sister. Imagine having an older brother with the kindness and warmth of Ravi, guiding you through his tricky world of intellect and wisdom. He adores his sister and helps to brush her teeth and ride her bike. My big brother once threw a hoover at my head. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was going to say, he can guarantee Ravi and his little sister are probably going to end up hating each other. All brothers and sisters do at some point. Yeah. It's, yeah. The, it's like the, the love when you're really, really young. Hate when you are like toddler to about 18 and then you're all good to go. Yeah. I keep telling this to Sam and Lena because those two fucking hate each other. And I keep saying to them, one day you two are going to absolutely mean the world to each other and you're going to be so protective. I was like, no, I'm not. Mm. I was like, yes, you will. Just wait. I'm 13, growing pubes. I like boobs. What's wrong with that? Oh, please. Come on. What happens, mate? Yes, I know, but come on. You need to start living in the real world, son, is what you need to start doing. There's, stop a being between, there's a difference between knowing these things and wanting to talk about them. Okay. Wait till he gets his fucking XXX hamster, whatever it was. Oh, Red God, hamster. No, 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 no. Let's not start Let's move on. Rosie. The best day of her life was getting a cold. Wait, what? Yeah, you heard. The class Ro- The class laughed at this. But Rosie wasn't playing any games. She had the stoic face of a lioness. What she didn't explain was when she got a cold, then had a day of school because of it, which made way more sense to me. She basically said she ate toast and watched Frozen. Sounds like a great day, to be fair. I'm down. Fair play. Fair play. Absolutely. I see why she enjoyed that day. We move on to Wendy. And she says, swimming with sharks. Fucking hell, Wendy. Wait, hang on. I had so many questions for this. Surely it's not wise in a six-year-old down in a cage to swim with sharks. However, through further investigation, Wendy meant dolphins, and it was on holiday. (laughs) Though she's absolutely convinced it was great white sharks. (laughs) Fucking love kids. Oh, they're so stupid. But we saved the best till last. We are now ending on Ben. Come on, Ben. And his answer was Mr. Poynton's lessons, the teacher himself. Before we get ahead of ourselves, Ben got in trouble today, so I assume he is trying to use this ploy to win me (laughs) over. It's a pathetic, ridiculous attempt. And did it even work? Yes. Of course That's it did. Fucking right. Yeah. Absolutely. Back in my bud- good books, he goes. What a cheeky little scamp. <laughs> That's brilliant. And now I really want to ask Olivia tomorrow what her favourite day ever was. That's <laughs> what she says. Please do it. Please oh, do it. I'd actually be intrigued. I would actually be intrigued. I'm intrigued too. It's weirdly, that kind of led quite well into one of the things I wanted to bring up this week. Because I was thinking about. Teachers and school. And I realised I don't have a clue what Olivia's teacher's first name is. And I was like, why do we leave our children in the care of a complete stranger who we don't actually know what their name is? It's a bit weird. I'll be really honest. Does it really matter? Not really, but at the same time, you know what? There's yeah, but why are you so? Why do you need to? Is, is it because you saw your teacher, your teacher, your kids' teacher out clubbing? Is that why? No, no, this was before this. I've had this written down for weeks, but I, it just, I don't know what made me think of it. I was just like, I'm trusting my child of you to basically help her grow, and I don't even know what the fuck your name is. It's a little bit weird. But you do know what I know. You know what a surname is. I know what a surname is, but I can't exactly go. Police! My daughter's been kidnapped by. Miss Price. Yeah, bum, but bum, surely bum. You just ring, you'd ring the head teacher and go, uh, my, teacher's been, my kid's been kidnapped. What's it? And go, oh, it's blah, blah, blah. She lives here. You go, cheers. Well, yeah, I, I suppose so. But I just found it weird that we trust our children to be looked at by people we don't even know their name. I found that weird. 
Okay. So this is an amazing thing, right? That I think you need to go. It's called therapy, right? And what happens is you sit, you go into someone's room, you sit down with them, and you chat about the thing, you know, what's going on in your life. I think that'd be really good for you. The irony in that statement is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, who genuinely sits there and goes, "Oh my God, what's my my kid's teacher's <laughs> name? What what if they get kidnapped? Oh my God, dude." There's wars in fucking Syria. But I went further back than that. I was like, I can't believe my mom trusted me with a person. She didn't even know their name. Like, what the fuck? Mother, how dare you? Dude, <laughs> people, me in the fucking 80s and 90s didn't give a shit anyway. They're too high on fucking cocaine point. and, you know, rhythm is a fucking dancer. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's all they gave a shit about. <laughs> Not going to be home when you finish school. Front doors unlocked. Don't worry about it, love. Yeah. I'm off no, to the did, bookies. Did, didn't, we play, didn't we play outside with the front door wide fucking open? Yeah. Very true, yeah. Peter <laughs> still existed then, but it doesn't give a shit. No fuck. Nah. Off you go. Ah, you think you want to, I think I'm gonna play with you. You must be fucking joking. <laughs> that strange man down the road, he'll play with you. Off you pop. And now it's all oh, we need to nurture them and look under the oh, piss off. Anyway. <laughs> I wanna I'm gonna tell you a really funny story, and then I've got something I want to ask you. Okay. So I went to Cheltenham, uh, this is a couple of weekends ago now, and the trains were fucked. Standard. Shock. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to Gloucester and the train went, yeah, there's no driver, so you have to get off. We're like, okay. Cool. I mean, I'm not, I'm going to go to Cheltenham, so I wasn't really asked. Do you know what I mean? It's not like yeah. it was like 15,000 miles away. I'm not going to Banbury or Birmingham or... Newcastle, do you know, I have to go like miles and miles away. So, um, because this room's for Nottingham, so obviously people go to Nottingham are like, for fuck's sake. Anyway, got on this train to Edinburgh, which is stopping in Cheltenham, literally got on, and I, but like, fuck, loads of people. Like, I mean, like, obviously a whole train full with an already full train full. Um, mm. So I was in the cabin, and this old lady gets on with her daughter. And there's no seats. So they stood with me in the little, you know, by the toilets that bit for that weird mm. bit that I like sitting in for some weird reason. Anyway, I, I was there. And um, this old lady got on and she was like a bit like, not frail, but she wasn't very silly on her feet. And I was like, do you want to stand where I am? Because it's got the poles and you can hang on. She goes, no, love, I'm fine. I'm fine. Which obviously led to conversation. So they were like, oh, we're going to Banbury. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. So, so we had an after, so they, got, they were in Cardiff. And the bus driver refused to drive. They got halfway to, yeah, and the bus driver stopped and didn't let anybody off. This is what they told me. I don't know if this is genuinely true. Fuck? So they got off that bus to get another bus to get to Cardiff train station to miss their original train. So they got the train that I got on at Newport, which got cancelled in Gloucester, to get on this Edinburgh train. And they had to go to Birmingham to go to Banbury, which is obviously Oxfordshire. So they had to go north to go south again, which is like fucking insane. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so the daughter went, Oh, do you know what? Because they were going to miss their connecting train because of the cancelled one in in Gloucester, and the daughter went, "Fuck it, I'm having one. I'm having a wine when we get to Birmingham train station." I went, "Yeah, all six. And she went, "Excuse me." I went, "Yeah, all six. And she went, "Why are you asking me for sex?" I went, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> I definitely said six, but obviously because I'd had my surgery done, I couldn't speak properly. So it sounded like I was like, yeah, I'll sex. <laughs> and I was a bit like, and so I cleared it up. I went six, 
six. It's like, sorry, I had work done. And she was like, oh, no, it's okay. She started like, her mum was full on fucking pissing herself. She was full on pissing herself. But we were like, we were like, we were pissing ourselves out of like embarrassment for the whole thing. So essentially what I did was just went, it went like deathly quiet. There's a chavvy little kid in the corner with a beard just going like, and uh, I went, should I move carriages? I bet you're so glad that your stuff was next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, though, she was totally cool about it. And I was like, I gen, I was, and I went, just to reiterate, I genuinely meant the number. <laughs> I'll go to the carriage now. <laughs> After that rejection, I meant six. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, so that was just a little bit of comedy for you there. Oh, that that genuinely brilliant. happened. And uh, oh, that's brilliant. And I hope they got back to Banbury. Okay, if they ever hear this, I doubt it highly. I think I would have given up on that journey like a long time ago. Fair play to them for sticking out. No, oh. I know, right? Unbelievable, absolutely no. unbelievable. On a Saturday as well, so it was just like chock a block oh. all over the place. Fuck that. But before we get caught up and whatnot, like Jamie, why is W? Called W when it's a double V. That's all. It's but all. Well, a lowercase looks like two U's, doesn't it? No, it's always that, isn't it? Who draws W's w's like? Who does W's like that? I I do my lowercases. It looks a bit like two U's. I just do a bit uh, uh, for capitals. I do the big the big wings. (laughs) For little ones, I just do little wings. wings. When I think about it, my lowercases do look a bit like two little W's. Yeah. Two little U's, rather. Hmm. I, I imagine that was the original intent. But I had this thought at 3 a.m. And I was <laughs> there going, oh, my God. It's called a W, but it's two V's. That is, a, that is a really good point, though. Unless it's some weird Latin shit that we don't know about, then Probably. I have no idea. Because that's it. These things normally are. Oh, it's a new translation from Latin. Oh, fair enough. I mean, that language what? died what two, three hundred years ago? Yeah, maybe more. more. But other than that, I got nothing. I don't know. That's a very good question. Press hmm. interessant is all I can say. Hmm. Anyway, Jamie, anyway. let's get into the new. How are you? I'm very well, sir. I'm so fucking happy to be back recording. I. I have missed this very, very much. Yeah, I do apologise. Obviously, nothing could be done. Um, yeah. It's just one of those things that we had to grin and bear. Managed a few interviews. I was going to say, we but... did try. We did a few interviews, but yeah. But yeah, I'm good. Like I said, I'm just happy to be back. This has been killing me not doing this, so I'm very, very happy to be back. But I think more importantly, how are you, my friend? How are you? Yeah, good. Back to 100% now. Um it was one of those moments. So for those that are unaware as to why I've been away, if you don't follow us like religiously or whatever, I had to have emergency dental surgery back on the 12th of July, uh, where I had to have a wisdom and a molar removed. Uh, and it, it caused some complications, let's put it that way, uh, relating to a bone sticking through my gum into my tongue. So it impacted my eating, swallowing, talking, um, anything to do with my mouth, basically, blowjobs, that sort of thing. So... Um, I just couldn't suck the dick anymore. It was a bit shit. Um, uh, so 
we had to take some time away. We did do a few interviews, but I barely spoke in some of them and I struggled. This one is the f- Jamie decided that'd be a really fucking good idea to book an oh, interview in the day after I had my surgery done. <laughs> so, what's he booked it before then? I can't remember. But anyway, no attempt was made to rearrange. <laughs> it was like, cool, you might have excellent. We were interview tomorrow. You'd be fine. You'd be fine. Um, but still, we. so yeah, this interview was done the day after my surgery. So if I sound like an absolute twat, now you know why. You didn't sound okay. like a twat. Sorry. So it's good to be back. It's good to sound normal. It's good to eat again. I lost a stone, like a stone nine, I think. Oh. Um from liquid diet for 15 or 16 days. Um, and I basically just got, I had enough on Sunday. I had enough. I put my hand in my mouth and I snapped that bone in half. I bled everywhere, but it was, I'm not joking. I wanted to cry. I was so happy, so happy that that imagine. was now over. And I, I could eat and I could swallow and I now can talk again. So it was minimal <sighs> A bit of pain for maximum gain, boys. Let's put it that yeah. way. Um, but as for... I know people hate dentists, so I won't go into too much detail. But I'm surprised he didn't put his foot on my chest, <laughs> is all I can say. Okay. That's so Because scary. the wisdom just didn't want to come. Oh. At all. And it was partially in my... Like, almost in my cheek. Um, and it was Ooh. not coming to the point where we had to drill and saw and everything else. And it was the most agonizing thing I've ever experienced in my life. I screamed the dentist down. I think I passed out at one point because it was what so painful. It, I'm, uh, he didn't get the information out of me, so it's fine. We're all okay. We're all good. Everything's still a secret. We're all good. <laughs> I didn't cave. I jackballed the fuck out of it. <laughs> <laughs> we know who to trust of that government secrets now. <laughs> Dude, like, I don't ever want to experience that ever again. Oh, so, the moral of the story here is, kids, is look after your fucking teeth and brush them all. The- I brush them like five times a day now because I'm petrified of having that fucking done again. This is where you go next. I'm like, uh, you've caused some damage here from overbrushing. No! The dentist goes, so the last time I saw you, Tom, you had gums. <laughs> where are they? <laughs> Oh, that's what that Bro, is. Bro, <laughs> you can do that. Where am I, Ben? Give me my neutral of the world. My... <laughs> the news of the world doesn't exist, Tom. Oh, no, fuck it. Fuck yeah. I thought you said news of the world, but I wasn't 100% sure. Well, I don't know if I actually did. But they were naughty and listened to too many people's phone calls, so... Um... So, how are things, my friend? What's been going on? Don't have to go into massive detail, obviously, because we no. can't cover three weeks' worth of shit. <laughs> but please, what's been going on with you, my friend? I was going to say, I was thinking earlier, I write my notes for the show, and I was like, I'm not writing down everything I've done for the past three weeks. Like, I'll just take some bullet points out. But no, most important thing we've been doing while we've been away is we've been getting out all these 2,000 Trees interviews. I've still got more to do, more to work on, but we've been releasing them every single day, apart from Fridays. Like, so I've still got some more to do. And now we're preparing for Bloodstock interviews for next week as well, so that's taking up a good chunk of our time um 
done a few we've done a few interviews including this one today we've got one coming up in a couple of weeks with a guest host someone a friend of the show filled in for tom which you'll find out all about which actually you probably already know about it we put it on social medias our good friend mally malpass sat in with me for a future interview and it is brilliant thank you massively to mally for doing that for us um i've got a year older since we last spoke i had a birthday the last thing so to, to apologize for our last edition, I was 36, but now I am 37. We um, missed your birthday episode. I'm so oh, sorry. It's fine. But no, I went to go see The Lion King, the, the stage play at the Hippodrome, and it was absolutely mind-blowing. Absolutely incredible. Like, I was not expecting to see people dressed as elephants walk past me in the highway and everything like that. It was phenomenal costuming. Acting was absolutely amazing. There was one thing that I was just like, what the fuck? But at the same time, I don't know how they could have done it any differently. So fair enough. It just it sort of took me out of the moment for a moment. But other than that, it was great. Uh, what else have we been doing? I started learning to drive. I've only had one lesson so far. But yeah, I'm finally on the road to learning to drive. So fingers crossed that goes well and I actually stick to it and pass. Um, uh, Jamie, could you let me know when you're on the road so I know to stay indoors? <laughs> Sorry, Literally. I just had to get in there. No, I, I I put up a status and I've like everyone was liking the comments and someone said that and I was like, oh, I'm not gonna like that one. You're gonna go fuck yourself. And, but I fucking hate delete comments, like, unfriend. Yeah. See you later. I fucking hate <laughs> those comments. Um, but no, it went really well. Um, it was quite scary, but I think I picked it up quite well. He was quite happy with how I did. I've got my second one on Thursday, so fingers crossed, keeps going well. And other than that, I went out to. Former guest, friend of the show, John Mahana started his own brand new DJ night here in Birmingham, a new emo night at the Devil's Dog, which is a brand new rock pub in Birmingham. First time I've ever been to the venue, and it was an absolute great night. Misery business. I'm waiting for the second one to be announced because I want to go. I did something I don't ever do, and I literally stayed till the end. It was 3 a.m. I was fucking knackered, but I don't care. I drank, and I sang, and I danced my little ass off, and weirdly... I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit, I've been in a bit of a funk lately. My head's been all over the fucking place. But I felt so much better since Friday night. Just to, if I can't say I let my hair down, I cut it all off years ago. But, you know, to just unwind and just be myself and I was just singing along. I was singing and dancing to my chemical romance. I never used to like that band. I was having a whale of a time. Enter Shikari came on, I stood still because I still don't like that band. But I was fucking well into it and I was having a great time. And it was, and as Tom alluded to earlier, my daughter's teacher was there, which was a little bit weird. I'm not gonna lie. Yes, I know they have free time and lives outside of work before you start, but it's still just weird. Okay, seeing your daughter's teacher drunk. <laughs> no, that that's not what's going through my head. What was going through my head then was who associated whales with enjoying yourself. That's what I want to know. Associated whales. You're having a whale over time. Oh yeah! Was oh, like, what a when, when did a whale? When was it like? When did somebody go boating or fishing or speedboat or whatever and saw a whale and was like, "That whale's having a good. He's having a whale over time." Ha-ha. Hmm. Hello, dictionary in the English language. Yeah, I've got a new quote for you. It's a whale this time. It's a whale. Yeah, it's not a wolf in sheep's clothing. No, we don't put two random animals together. No, this whale is going to enjoy itself. Yeah, absolutely. Like a pig in shit. Oh, that's another one. No, that's another one for you there. there, 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 there. Oh, here we go. I've got more for you. I've got more of that came from. 
I don't think we've ever brought that one up before. That's a really good point, yeah. Why are your whales so happy? It's good to a good time. They just watch Free Willy and get overexcited. <laughs> I mean, it's a great film. I, 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 I get it. <laughs> yeah, look at him. He's enjoying He's having a whale of a time. Look at him. He's enjoying it. He's having a whale of a time. Hey. We'll nick that. We'll nick that. We'll nick that. Put it. Yeah. Call him up. Call him up now. Quick. Fucking hell. Sorry, kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't listening at all, mate. No. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, other than that, watching wise, um, I think we discussed on before last week's interview. I finished Yellow Jackets, phenomenal. Um, I haven't really watched much Red Dwarf since we start last recorded, but I did start a new show. I was looking for a bingey show, and I found someone on Disney Plus called Nine One One. I was like, I'm intrigued. Let's see what this is like. Turns out it's got about six and a half thousand spin-off shows, apparently. Like the wife's been watching a different show that is also a spin off of this one, something to do with I can't remember what it's called now. Is that Fire. Station 19 by any chance? Yes, Station 19, that's it. And apparently that's the favorite game. TV to Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Yeah, to Grey's Anatomy. And then apparently there's another, there's like a 911 Reno and 911 something. I was like, Jesus Christ, how many is that? I'm just sticking to the one for now. I'm not going to get too invested. Jesus. <laughs> but no, it's a good show. I'm enjoying it. I've only watched a few episodes. But... You're going to fall into that Grey's Anatomy hole, aren't you? I've never watched a single episode of Grey's Anatomy in my life. You're going to be fucking jacking it to it. Oh, really? You won't even be in San Diego and you'll be jacking it to fucking Grey's Anatomy. Everybody that's what's going to happen right there. It. It's, it's, this happens now, I'm intrigued. But no, that's it. I've not, like I said, I've not really done a fat lot. What about you, Mr. Stevens? What have you been up to? Uh, so I've been Rhiannon-ing. Or have I? Jamie Westwood mm. is the question. <laughs> yeah. I was reanering for a little bit and then I got put on garden leave. So um, I've got a new job started in a couple of weeks' time. I don't give a shit. No one's listening to this. Don't give a fuck. Because um, by the time this comes out, it's my last day. So uh, all good, all fucking gravy. So I start a new job on the 14th. Uh, so next week I get to fully enjoy Bloodstock, completely unemployed. Hooray! Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's been going on. So. Uh, very happy to see the back end of that. Um, uh, what else are we doing? I'm oh, obviously, I had dental surgery. Uh, I had emergency dental surgery back on the 12th of July, like I said, I alluded to earlier. Uh, that I'm now at the other end. Thank fucking Christ, is all I can say. I'm fine at the other end. I've had a few follow up appointments. Uh, stitches taken out. That the thing is, though, right? The stitches going in, I felt nothing. Stitches coming out, I felt nothing. And I was like, oh. Weird. I wasn't even Weird. numb when they came out. Yeah, I was just like, cool, take them out. Away you go. It, I'm really weird in those situations. Like, I don't shit them until shit starts to hurt. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, don't, I don't get there going, oh my God, I got the dentist. Oh my fuck. Oh, I go, cool. Yeah, point minute. Where with so and so? They go, cool. Yeah, come and sit down. I go, yeah, cool. Lovely. Put this glass on. Lovely. Put like, I don't, I don't stress at all. It's really weird. You'd lucky fucker. Really I weird. wish I was like that. I'm just like, yeah, do what you got to do. And he's like taking the stitch side. He's like, oh, you got loads in there. I was like, have I? He's like, yeah, one, two, three. And I was like, oh, fuck, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what's going on. Um, it was nuts, really nuts. Uh, what else have I done? I watched Good Morning Vietnam. Fair. I didn't get it until like a halfway, three quarters through. And I was like, oh, this now makes sense. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually watched it. It Robin Williams was absolutely fucking because people were banging on and on and on and on and on about how good it is, and I was like, I'm a huge Robin Williams fan, and it's what I've not seen yet, and obviously it's a classic. 
So I put it on. And the first hour I was going, it's just doing a radio show. It's just like a comedy, like a sound comedy routine, but doing a radio thing. And it, it didn't really click mm. until something really big happened. And I went, oh, now I get it. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. It, it was, um, I think I mentioned it in an interview we did yesterday where I said, my attention span now is so fucked. Yeah. That I watched the first hour, went and made dinner, snapped my bone out of my mouth, ate dinner, went back to watch it, paused it again after the 20 minutes, 25 minutes, went to the shop to get some stuff for Keris because she wanted chocolate and shit, came back and finished it. It was really weird, but it was great. I really enjoyed it. I probably wouldn't rush to go watch it, but I'd watch it again, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I still really enjoy it. I started quarterback on Netflix. I'm absolutely loving that. Absolutely follows the life of three quarterbacks in the NFL during the during the actual season from last year. Um ah. so really enjoying that on Netflix. It's really good. Um I've been watching some NFL because the NFL starts getting six, seven weeks. Um might even be less than that now. I think it's like six or five or six Sundays left to the NFL's back. I'm fucking buzzing. Um Fucking out. It's so weird. I was like, oh my God, I did loads. And, so, and now I'm like, what have I done? <laughs> uh, I watched some more Walking Dead. I've watched more of The Orville. I've got three episodes of The Orville left. It's got better. Yeah, it's um, my brain awesome. I've really struggled with this last series. Mm. Really struggled. I'm on episode eight, I think, now. Um, I just found out. Um, oh my God, I forgot the names of them. What are the machines I... called? Uh, the Isaac is. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I can't remember. Crypton. Anyway, I found that I bought out their history, and I was like, "Oh, that's why they're kind of a prick." Oh, that's, that's a great episode. That is a great episode. Really enjoyed, enjoyed it. Yeah. Really enjoyed that episode. Yeah, and I was like, "Wow, that was bloody good." Where John keeps uh, Lamar keeps getting having sex with the the alien girl, and it's like beating the shit out of him, like breaking on his pelvis and stuff. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> that is. Um, so what really blew my mind. You know, um. Who plays Captain Mercer's wife, Anna Pekka? Her? Yeah, yeah. Is married to the guy who plays Gordon Malloy, the ginger guy. I did not know. They're, that. Mar- they're married in real life. And I was like, oh, huh. interesting choice. You like gingers? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're both in luck, mate. Fucking knew that was coming. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, so I've been watching a bit of The Orville. Um, and, but, but we're, we know what we're all excited for. We're all excited for next week, for the return of Only Murders. Oh, yes, it's next week. <laughs> the 8th of August, Only Murders in the Building is back. If you've not watched it, where have you been? What are you doing with your life? You need Only Murders in the Building in your life. It's an unbelievable series. I, I, You need to watch it. I can't stress how good it is. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> I can't wait. Paul Rudd in this series, like, yes. We love it. We, and Meryl Streep. <laughs> it's of all the people it's going to be um, it's going to be incredible i'm very keris was very excited by some dishy doctor person uh the guy i think it's from gray's anatomy um, shaved his head and he had bright blue eyes uh did you watch the trailer i did watch the trailer yeah. he's the one that's having dinner with selena gomez oh yes 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 yes, yes. yeah yeah um, um so yeah she got really excited she was like oh my god she's in it like he said she said some name she got wet and yeah, I I put a couple of towels down. Um, so <laughs> yeah, 
So, like, you know what's going to happen is we're going to move on to go to Callum's preachings, and I'm going to be like, I did that. I did that. Yeah, probably. I did that. <laughs> so, um, although, before we do move on, I uh, I sent you a photo earlier. Um, and if you could put it up now, that'd be absolutely amazing. But don't you think that either Dustin Rhodes is a massive Eminem fan or Eminem is a massive Dustin Rhodes fan? Because that literally was the first thing that came into my head. I literally just went, hi, my name is what? My name is who? My name is Dicka Dicka. Gold dust. In my head, I did the exact thing, but I was replacing the chicka chickas. We know the noises you used to make when you got electrocuted. Like, <laughs> I tried to I tried to do a voice note for you of that, but I sound like Paul Bearer. I said, "Oh, yeah. I was like, "Yeah, no, that's definitely not. That's definitely not electrocuted gold dust." That picture had me in absolute stitches to the point I almost choked on a crisp. I'd literally put a crisp in my mouth, open the measure, like, what? Ow, fuck. Obviously, so, it was a very, very serious episode of Raw because it's the Owen Hart tribute show yes. when it was a very, very somber moment. But I literally, as soon as it came on the screen, I went, fucking hell, Eminem's different. What's happened here? <laughs> it was just nuts. It just literally was just, that's the first thing. Because he's got the chains on, he's got a ring on and stuff. I was like, fucking hell, Dustin, what's going on here? To yeah. be fair, he was dressing up as all sorts of people at one point in his career, so it could you never know. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. At least we know Marshall Mallers got inspired from. Um, anyway, anyway, we're all caught up, my friends, so let's go and hear from Braden. It's Stay Cozy Clothing. All right. Is this thing on? Well, howdy doody, everybody. This is Braden Barry from Say We Can Fly, founder of Stay Cozy Clothing. Your one-stop shop for the coziest, most fashionable hoodies, t-shirts, and more. Gorsh, Mickey. That's right, folks. And we're proud to say that we are now sponsoring... The Chronicles of Podcast. Ouch. Hosted by Tom and Jamie. <laughs> like, you can get 10% off, man. That's right, Shaggy. Just use the special code, The Chronicles, at checkout. Oh, boys. Said it once. I've said it again and again and again, and I will say it forever. To the, the depths of the future until I fucking die. Greatest advert ever. Absolutely is. Oh, I missed it. But. He's coming all the way from sunny Portugal. Jamie, it's your favorite segment. Yes. It's time for Callum's Treachings. Do you want to know something? Callum will be able to tell you in Callum's Treachings. It's cereal soup. Ooh. The absolute bastard. So the ladies, if there's any ladies that watch the show, you're in for an absolute <laughs> treat right about indeed. now. You are in for the biggest treat. Treat. <laughs> treat of your life right about now because Callum is currently on holiday uh, in Portugal. Portugal! With his lovely other half. But he left nothing to the imagination when he sent us these treachings. So even I'm wet right now. Like, it, <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. Jamie, should we give them what they want? Oh, we definitely should. You've got to give the people what they want. What is Callum treaching us this week? You can pretend to be asleep, but you can't pretend to be awake. That's not. Could you imagine? Like, <laughs> how would you even? How would you even do that? How would you even pretend to be awake? I don't know. I, Could, 
you are awake. <laughs> like, unless you like sellotape your eyes back when you go to sleep, which sounds painful. I don't really know. <laughs> I, obviously, if you pretend to be awake, you must be asleep at the point. Yeah, so... so you can't. <laughs> so like, how you doing, Tommy? Right. We, you can, apparently you can pretend like to point, be point, like point you could spend a weekend at Bernie's and shit. <laughs> Try to say something like cancel the lap and he's dancing. <laughs> but even like I said, if you peel your eyes back or whatever, you're not pretending. You just went to sleep and your eyes sell and taped over you. You're asleep. You ain't doing nothing. Have you ever tried to do that? Or sell a tape your eyes open. No. Yeah. I'm not a madman. Do you reckon it would work? I don't know. I don't want to find out. The cartoon's it. Tom and Jerry. When <laughs> Tom... And he, like, peels it right the way back. And then right the way... Like, obviously, that couldn't happen. But like, he could do it to your head. But sure, if you crunch your head or whatever, that would just come straight off. I'd imagine But so. then are your eyelids, like, shutters, blind shutters? Well, I don't want to get sell a tape out of the drawer and try it. I'm not going because to. Because it's but... you. Because of course you do. It's, I kind of do. I'm not going to, but... <laughs> the one that's always baffled me, right, about when people try and stay awake in shows and cartoons is matchsticks. Yeah, that looks painful. Why are you even trying? It's like wafer-thin skin. And you want to put a big fucking... Plus, what if it, like, slips but it ignites off the eyelashes? Oh, Obviously it wouldn't, but no. that would be quite cool at the end of the day, wouldn't it? Like, have you seen? Huh, here's my party trick. I can juggle. Here's my party trick. I can hula hoop like fifteen times. I didn't need hulas. What can you do? <laughs> Johnny matches. <laughs> Watch and learn, because I won't be able to say anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> ah, you have eyebrows. Now you don't. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's the ones where they put them in there because their eyes are so heavy it smash snaps the matchsticks in half in the cartoon. <laughs> makes like, no sense. Come on. Makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Um, <laughs> oh. But then again, cartoons aren't real, Jamie. So you know, this is very true. What can this we say? I remember a Tom, a Tom and Jerry again when Jerry puts a pit. They play snooker a pool. And he puts a pill into the queue and shoves it down the hole. But Tom's at the other end of the table and the the queue <laughs> bends magically all underneath and comes out of the side. And jabs him straight in the ass. And I used to find that fucking hilarious. But now I'm thinking that cue would also just go straight down. And if it tried to bend, would snap in half. So you've got to think about this, Tom and Jerry creators, because I can't remember who created it. So I'm just going to call you those. All right. Thank you. It is Hannibal. I was going to say Hannibal Barbera. And I was like, I don't want to sound like a twat. So, you know. Um, it, but then again, so yeah, you've got to think about it. The the way that the cue comes down, it's not. It's just going to snap and bend. It's not going to bend properly. It can't curve. It's just, you know, got to think about these things. Got to think about these things. <laughs> I know cartoons aren't real, but what you got to do is... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no imagination allowed. It must all be scientifically factual. Exactly, exactly. Kids these days with the technology they've got now are like, that would never happen. <laughs> probably. Yeah. There's probably YouTube's yeah. debunking every episode of Tom and Jerry. Oh, boring. <laughs> Back off. <laughs> But still, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I'd love to see someone. It's just not physically possible. I was going to say, I'd love to see someone try. It's, it's not going to happen. You can't. Like, what am I even wishing for here? Like, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> absolutely mental. We, we best move on before we start saying some oh. other random ass bullshit. 
What else, Jamie, is Callum Trichiners sexually this week? The bigger someone's favourite number is, the weirder it gets. Really? <laughs> What's yours? I mean, I kind of get where he's coming from. Because most people, when you say, what's your lucky number, they're like, five. It's normally in the region of a calendar, isn't it? Of a month. Yeah. Because people normally go for birth. I go for birthdays. So my lucky number's 25 because it's my birthday. And See, that sounds, not, that sounds mental to me. So I get where <laughs> he's coming from. Why is, that, why is that mental? Maybe that's why I didn't relate to that preach because, like, to me, my high, my lucky number's quite high. I wonder if there's somebody out there and go, what's your favourite number? 15,247. Why? You just proved his point perfectly then because that's just fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I make sure when lottery comes on, I put 15 in, 1, 4, 42, 27. <laughs> Because 15,427 is a lucky number. It's nuts. It's That sounds so fucking weird. But I bet someone's got it. Probably. I just, I just love how when we first heard that, we're like, huh? And then as we spoke about it, we go, no, he's fucking right. He's absolutely 20, right. 25 is like throwing me... Because th- mine's 12, obviously, because I'm the 12th of June. But like that just, to me, sounds like a normal... Because it's in a clock. It's, mm. you know... It's, it's I don't know. It's almost in the middle of a month. I don't know. People obviously are super, super, yeah, yeah, yeah. People are obviously superstitious in completely different ways. Um, so like, people might find three mental. <laughs> I just I just love how right he is. It's fucking brilliant. But yeah, you, you, when you turn around, somebody go, "What is your lucky number?" It is generally a single digit number. It's no between one and nine, yeah. Yeah. It's very rare people go above that. You've blown my tiny mind a little bit here, Callum. I'm not really going But it's how people go, are you a dog or a cat person? It's like, can I not be both? <laughs> no. You I just not like both. I'm a dog person. I don't have one, but I fucking hate my cat, so I'm not a dog person. <laughs> That's fair. It's not even your cat, is it? Yeah. Originally? Yeah. And you called a fucking Queen Amidala? Hells yeah. Anyway, um, the good thing about it is the name. It's got to be Star Wars related. Sorry. Anyway, um, <laughs> you can have a cat, but it's got to have a Star Wars name. Otherwise, I would not love her. I would not love her. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, like, yeah. I I want to try and find somebody now. This lucky number is above like thirty. I feel like I need to do a bonus audience participation post, not for like the end of the show, but just put one out there and find out what people's lucky numbers are and see if anyone has a really weird number. It's not a GDPR thing. No, it's not, is it? No, it can't be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then again, it could be like, oh, it's related to my birthday or it's related to this. So technically it kind of is, I guess. Yeah, you know how it. you know how people are so fucking dumb that do those questionnaires on social media? Oh, You've got tattoos. How many tattoos have you got? When did you just get married? What's your favourite kid's name? It's like, yeah, just give all your password ideas and <laughs> hints and stuff to everybody. Yeah, well done. Massively congratulations there. Just, uh, that'll be my next audience participation post. What was your first pet's name? What was your mother's maiden name? <laughs> just get everyone's security details for What's your date of birth? Um, 
The other one I really, and I'm sorry, and I know this is probably because I know you've done one. I know Becky's done one, but I really hate the, ask your kid these questions and put the answers in here. Oh, fuck off. No one gives a shit. Maybe Sharon down the road or your neighbor fucking does, but nobody else cares. (laughs) Nobody else cares. All right. What's your favorite thing to eat? Dinosaur. Ha 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 ha. Hilarious. Because you're fucking dumb. You're a kid. You have no clue. It's not funny. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. You can tell oh. you have no children and never intend to have any. <laughs> Absolutely fucking not. Thank you very much. I am too selfish for that shit and I'm good. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. You got my sorry. <laughs> I'll wait till Jamie's redeemed himself and returned. And we'll put Sexy Color back on the screen. Yes. And finally, Jamie, what is Sexy Callum treating us this week? Trying to describe the flavor of Coca Cola is nearly impossible. Fucking hell. Fucking right. <laughs> It's flavored. It's flavored sugar. It's sugary, flavory goodness of black bubbles. <laughs> it's just a black liquid. It's just yeah. essentially like half sugar. But it must have flavors in it, surely. There's no such thing as cola flavor. There is now, but because of that. <laughs> Pesticide, aspartame, <laughs> cancer. Uh, that's literally pretty much it, isn't it? Diabetes. Because the fact that, right, what's so bloody annoying about it is obviously it tastes insane. But obviously it's literally half sugar. Well, but yeah. the fact then it cleans your toilet unbelievably. <laughs> like sparkling clean. I have Pepsi Max in the fridge. I'm intrigued if it <laughs> says what flavour this is. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, yeah. <laughs> he said, uh, sorry, I've got Pepsi. There was a Pepsi, all right? <laughs> all it says is caramel. That's it. And that's the colour. Carbonated water, colour, caramel, sweeteners, acids, flavourings. That's it. Even it the cola can't tell us what it tastes like. Basically, it tastes like <laughs> diabetes at 40, dead at 65. <laughs> Is what is what basically what I should say. Pretty much. Side note: cleans your toilet really well. <laughs> Fuck Mr. Muscle. Use Coca Cola. <laughs> Flash. Ah, shit! It's one of the universe. Coca Cola. <laughs> That's There's what you need for all your toilet needs. There's got to be some housewife out there that literally uses Coke to clean her toilet. A hundred percent. Got to be. Hundred percent. Oh, sorry, was just, there was there was coke on the toilet. Excuse me, there was coke on the toilet. How'd you find it? What are you on about your bastard? I mean, I was using coke to clean the toilet. I found a little bit on the. Oh yeah, yeah, coke on the toilet. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. There's nothing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't even know what you mean. Just uh, you know, I like to use my finger to brush my teeth. All right, I like to use my finger. Fuck a brush. I use my finger. All right, that's what I use to brush my teeth. <laughs> Oh, lo- oh, yeah, lovely, yeah. Oh, they're definitely fucking clean now, aren't they? <laughs> Can you see them elephants? What are they doing in the house? I don't even get up here. They're massive. Tommy, you're right. Yeah, why? Juventus won earlier. What? You were... <laughs> I like to use polythene bags at Iceland, and I'm not talking about the shop. 
Are you are you sure you're okay? <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. You can tell I've never I've never done drugs in my life. I think I killed Jamie. <laughs> Why do you think this way? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. That really made me laugh. <sighs> We're back, ladies and gentlemen. We're back. We're back. Where are you? Oh Christ. Don't know why it was the Juventus one that only got me. <laughs> oh, I love this show. Oh, you can tell we've been back so for a while. You can tell we've been gone for a while, can't you? Oh, Thank you so much, sexy Callum, for your sexy treachings and your oh, sexy yes. shorts. You sexy bastard. Uh, he's, he's, he sexed this show up. Fucking hell. He did. He's going he's gonna to put us out of fucking business with the amount of like people are going to watch this now. Unbelievable <laughs> scenes. But I better open that book. Oh, yes. You better have it. It's bursting at the seams. It's time for Tom's Journal. And welcome to another edition of Tom's Journal. Welcome back to another edition of Tom's Journal. Are you ready, Jane? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. I've literally got like five weeks worth. It's insane. Oh, it up. <laughs> the list is so long. But knowing me, I'll, I'll smash through it and be like, fuck, I've only got two left. Probably. Um, Jamie, Ooh. I know I've done this. Have you ever pretended not to look? Have you ever pretended not to look at the biscuits or the sweets that are being handed around the room and act surprised when you get offered one? <laughs> so many times. Oh, really? Are you sure? Are you sure? Sure. Oh, that, that, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I didn't realise you had chocolates. <laughs> or, or, or you do that one way they pass them around and it's like a multi bag, and you go. <laughs> Oh god, I love Skittles or I love cream egg. Cream egg, yeah, cream. Uh, yeah, let me just find <laughs> rather than cheers. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna delve a little bit. I might be a while. There's always that one. Always one. <laughs> I can't remember why I've said this one. Me and the boys made guy scouts. And we are thriving because I just got a badge for having too many HDMI cables and Dave got a badge for emotional honesty. Why isn't that a thing? That is I know, amazing. Right? I joined. I'm in for the Guy Scouts. I think I'm, I've got about three HDMI, so it's nice to find some else. <laughs> I saw a book called How to Solve 50% of Your Problems. So I bought it twice. Fuck's sake. Someone then commented, idiot, buy one book, read it twice. Oh. <laughs> Come on. That man's thinking ahead. He saved <laughs> some money as well. He's an absolute genius on Xavier. <laughs> Normal life. I've been wearing the same shirt for a week. Packing for a holiday. I'll probably change about three times a day, so 32 outfits should definitely work. <laughs> so true. So fucking true. Oh, you, you probably did this after John's night last week, misery business. 
when you get so drunk you forget you ordered food. Hi, I'm outside. Oh, sounds scary. Who is this? It's Uber Eats. Fucking idiot. <laughs> I'm outside. It sounds dangerous. You say this. <laughs> oh, I, I found a text conversation between the Joker and Lex Luthor. Would you like to hear it? <laughs> Always. Joker, Luther, baby, how are you feeling? Luther, not great. Don't recall much after deciding it would be funny just as Superman for a Halloween party. Joker, ah, you were a riot. You ran around drunk yelling, I get it, I get it now. The cape's amazing. Then he tried to fly by jumping off the roof. <laughs> Luther, who stopped me? Joker, nobody, we're villains. We all watched you jump. <laughs> Luther, how the hell did I survive then? Joker, Superman caught you. Then you tried to kiss him. It was a delightful train wreck and I've caused actual train wrecks. I'm not gonna lie, your Joker voice is great. I really enjoyed that. Rip. No, I'll shut up. No, it's not. I really liked that. That was good. Oh. <laughs> I like that. And I've caused actual train wrecks. Ah, <laughs> oh, Mr. J. <sighs> there is a shop, or a, like, you know, like the food vans at festivals mm. called Cotton Candy Chicken Nuggets. And someone said, I'm stuck seeing cotton chicken candy nuggets to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song. Please send help. Cotton candy chicken nuggets. Cotton candy chicken nuggets. If I start singing that tomorrow now, it pops into my head, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> Just think about this in seventh grade. I got escorted to the police station after school because they found out I was prank calling local businesses as Ricky Peepee. When I walked in, the officer who was waiting there with my mum to, to, to talk to me just said, well, if it isn't Ricky Pee-Pee. <laughs> Ricky Pee-Pee. <laughs> now, I know we've been away because obviously I haven't been able to talk, but you shared this next one and I'm actually gutted because it's one of my favourite journalists. <laughs> oh, and I showed you share it on social media. I was like, you motherfucker. But we have been away for pretty much a month, so this I've is probably forgotten it. it. <laughs> you will, no, 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 no. You are, you are bound to find it at some time because it's quite a popular little meme that's been going around. Crouches to go into stealth. The cracking of my knees alerts the guards. I am immediately killed. <laughs> I've never seen that. I would have shared it because that is me. If I crouch down, my knees click every fucking time. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> Be a terrible spy. <laughs> now I'm going to ask you this question, and then I'm going to answer it for you with what this person wrote because it's fucking unbelievable. Okay. Okay. But I'll ask this question first. Don't take five years to answer it. Which fictional character do you think would definitely have an OnlyFans? <laughs> Harley Quinn. Do you think so? That's first one that came to my mind. Fair. That's because you won it. That's why. Probably. <laughs> this person's answer is fucking sensational. <laughs> Zap Brannigan. Oh, yes. Kiff. <laughs> Kiff would begrudgingly take the photos. Kiff, I have my first subscriber. Inform the men. Kiff. Uh, as you wish. 
What you didn't realize is probably Kip who is the first subscriber. <laughs> Inform the men. I love that. Zach Bryan is my favorite characters. Futurama's just come back on Disney Plus, season 11. Unbelievable. I saw that. Oh, yes, that is the most accurate answer. I'm kind of annoyed I didn't think of that. This is a Jamie. This is a Jamie entry to the journal right here. Superman. Knuckles blooded. Sweating buckets. Breathing hard. Please, I don't want to hurt you. Just stay down. Chumbawamba, I'm so sorry, Clark. <laughs> you know I just can't do that. <laughs> Where is the light going? <laughs> oh, that's my favourite. That is my, oh, so my favourite. This is so good. That's so fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm gonna give you four more. <laughs> I wanna end, I wanna end on something absolutely sensational. It's okay. stupid as fuck, but it's fucking sensational. First things first. This is a genuine question on who wants to be a millionaire in America. All right. Oh. Are you ready for this? This is the scale that I will now be using for everything from now on. The question is this. Boasting a guest verse from Dr. Dre, what classic 90s R&B hit features Blackstreet singing, I like the way you work it? These are the answers that were given. <laughs> a, no diggity. B, hardly any diggity. C, a fair amount of diggity. D, an overwhelming surplus of diggity. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Yeah, we like the way you work in. <laughs> Oversurplus amount of diggity. <laughs> what a tune as well, by the way. Absolute tune. Oh, yeah, absolute banger as a kid. So. Hey, um, sorry I haven't texted you for six months. I forgot to text you back and... Uh, an hour after you suggested we meet for coffee. Then I remembered three days later. Then I felt awkward it had been three days, but by that time it had been a week. And then I was embarrassed, and now here we are. <laughs> oh, the amount of times in my youth I've been invited somewhere I didn't want to go to, and I was like, I didn't realize she'd message me. I'm so sorry I didn't get that. That, that now explains why you read emails and then tell me that oh, I haven't opened that. It's like, no, well, you fucking must have done because I haven't seen it. Or I'm just an idiot. That was genuine. <laughs> I was like, I, don't, I was like, I haven't heard from Christopher. I haven't heard from Christopher yet. So I went back. I was like, oh, we did reply two days later. I don't fucking know. Anyway, <laughs> it's not the point. It's not the point, James. I'm not. I'm not pissed off or hurt about it at all. <laughs> no, it was Damo who used to do that too. Anyway. <laughs> Um, Jay, it's normal to have a favourite circle on the hob, right? Yeah. Front left. What am I? Top. I think I'm bottom right or top left. <laughs> front left. Always front left. I always go for the biggest one as well. That's exactly why it's that one, because it's the biggest one. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder the electric bills are so fucking funny. <laughs> right. This is amazing. And I love this so much. And this is why I'm ending the journal on this entry, okay? Okay. Um, I hope you enjoy it, because I think I've bigged it up a bit too much now, but here we go. I hope I don't fuck it up either. But Jamie, 
What if Mike was short for Mycicle? <laughs> Every now and then, there's a text post that gets stuck in my damn head. Here it is. I'm now never going to be free of Mycicle. Okay. But what if Bike was short for Bicycle? Right, that's really fucking stupid. I love Mycicle so much. <laughs> <laughs> what a name I want to be called Mycicle <laughs> oh so good <laughs> obviously what Mick is short for oh fucking hell that's with another edition of Tom's Journal so good oh beautiful oh Oh, God, so, so good. Uh, uh, uh. Me too. Me too. I mean, we've got an absolute doozy of a guest as well. Oh, this is yeah, an, we un- do. an unbelievable show. I'll bring that piece in, shall I? Oh, yes, please. Welcome to the Chronicles of Jennifer Batten. Yes, this week we are joined by Jennifer Batten, a guitarist and solo artist who has toured all over the world and still doing so to this day. Most notably, she's known for her time working with two very special artists, one being the man, the myth, the legend that is Michael Jackson, touring the world with Michael, doing several world tours with him and also working with an idol of hers, which makes this story so much more special as well. And that is the legendary Jeff Beck as well. Like just two incredible guitarists together there. And this is absolutely phenomenal. And obviously I did mention that she's a solo artist. She has three solo albums, all of just guitar music as well. No vocals. You just get to listen to Jennifer just picking her funky stuff. And my God, she's incredible. And yeah, this is an unbelievable unbelievable story this oh i love this one so two things um my internet cut out well my laptop died at the very beginning of this interview so i do disappear very briefly but i am back and secondly this interview was done the day after my dental surgery so i sound like a complete fool so i do apologize if you can't understand me put the captions on subtitles or something um i was in a lot of pain uh, but this is an interview that we couldn't pass up. I didn't want. I didn't want to miss out. I want to be a part of it. Um, so Jennifer, I just want to say a massive, massive apologies uh, for the fact that I hardly spoke. Um, I wasn't being disrespectful. I promise. I just really, it just hurt too much to talk. So forgive me. But this interview is amazing. And yeah. again, it's one of those things where you sit here and you go, "Fucking hell, we have talked to some unbelievable people." But this one is is gigantic. Because obviously she played for Michael Jackson, she played for Jeff Beck, um, and she's just an absolute badass. She's <laughs> such a badass. Uh, so I'm very, very excited to get this one out there. Jamie, yes, sir. Do you have any final words at all with any dignity? <laughs> just a massive, massive thank you to Jennifer for spending a bit of her time and talking to us. She has had an incredible life an incredible career and it meant the absolute world that she was willing to sit down and share that with us me ah this is double superb yeah i reiterate what jamie said jennifer thank you so much for taking the time off your very busy schedule 
uh, to sit and chat with us. We really, really appreciate it. And thank you for being a part of our show. It really meant the world. And now we can't wait for everybody to hear it. So, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, interviewing this week, it's Jennifer Batten. Ah. You hear me? Hey. Yeah, beautifully. Okay, cool. Did you just break your glasses in half? What was that? <laughs> There's a magnet in the middle. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Uh, see, you know, I, I used to buy these readers like a dollar a piece, and I'd end up with a dozen of them in the room I wasn't in. So this was... <laughs> Hang on my neck always, except when I'm sleeping. No, that's great. I was just literally was like magician, like magic. It's just like, what's going yeah, on here? Yeah. <laughs> How are you, Jennifer? Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time out to do this. Really appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. Wonderful. Basically, what we do is I'll do a little introduction and then we'll bombard the living hell out of your questions. How does that sound? Go for it. That's what we like. Come on, let's get this underway. Ladies and gentlemen, this week we bring you a guitar legend. This week's guest is a session guitarist and solo artist who has worked with some of the biggest names in the industry, including a couple of names you may have heard of, like Jeff Beck and Michael Jackson. A woman who can rock a leather mask like no other, has mastered the two-hand tapping technique, and a woman who broke down doors for future generations of female guitarists. Boys and girls, put it together as we bring you the Chronicles of Jennifer Batten. <laughs> That's the first time anybody's given me props for that ghastly leather mask. Oh, there's questions about that mask later on. Don't you worry about that. Oh, no doubt. I have answers. <laughs> um, but first things first, Jennifer, how have the last few years been for you, obviously, with the pandemic and everything, and obviously everything like shut down? How have the last few years been? Uh, the pandemic was a slice of hell for me and every artist on the planet. Um, but now it's, it's just booming. I think people are so hungry to get out and see music and play music that I'd, you know, I, I would bitch about <clears throat> not being home enough before the pandemic. And now I'm like, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good balance. I take July and August off. I've done that the last few years to play in town with my local band. So I, I don't want to miss the summer in Portland because it's short and beautiful. Amazing. I, I can only imagine like being on the road for all those years, every now and like you say, every July and August, like I'm not going anywhere. This is me time. Don't even. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. When people ask me, oh, you've been so many places in the world. Where would you go for vacation? I say my back porch. <laughs> <laughs> and it's free. <laughs> so before we get into the good stuff take us back what did young miss batten want to be when she was growing up was it always been music for you or was it something completely different i remember when i was in sixth grade we were asked that question we were supposed to write it down and turn it in to the teacher and at that point i wanted to be a forest ranger because i was really into the outdoors and i really got into backpacking as a teenager um but things morphed along. I, I started playing guitar when I was eight years old and I announced to my mother when I was 12 that I wanted to be a professional musician and she wisely said, well honey, you know, that's a very competitive business. 
And often I think I should have listened to her. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're 12, it doesn't mean anything. It's like, uh, okay, well, that's what I want. So obviously her, um, I do think about her warning when I'm, well, for instance, the trip I took was to Brazil and I had a 25 hour flight delay. Oh. So, yeah, there, there's just all kinds of fuckery that you can't, there's nothing you can do. You know, you can either quit the business or go home crying or go, okay, well, guess I got to get a hotel for the night and try again tomorrow. And, and it was so delayed that I missed the tour bus. So I had to, once I landed in Sao Paulo, I had to fly to, I think, Brasilia to catch up with the tour bus. Fun times. <laughs> the bit that I find quite mental, though, is when you're at school, they say you're in sixth grade, and teachers go, cool, so what do you want to be when you grow up? You go, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's so much pressure when you're so young. Uh, I mean, you got to explore. People are living so long that it's not uncommon uh, to have two families. I mean, that that's not my scene, but... Um, <laughs> Often men especially will have a family and a career and then midlife crisis and go, fuck it, and then have a whole other family and a whole other career. So, I mean, that's why we're on Earth, right? To explore and see what suits our fancy. So you obviously have, and have from a very young age, Mark, have this love for rock and guitar music. Where did that love come from? Was that from your parents or somewhere completely different? My parents were really supportive, and my dad especially w was a huge jazz his whole life. And gosh, I mean, when he passed, one of the things I brought back from his house was like buckets and buckets and buckets of CDs. And he he, he was so anal retentive, man. I mean, like his garage looked like a Home Depot shop or what they call it, tool station in the UK, where <laughs> everything had its place. Unfortunately, I didn't get that gene. But early on he essentially created a jukebox where he had remotes for these these different things that would hold 200 cds each and he had a stack of them and you know he'd open his book and had typed out exactly what everything was it was just crazy so i have all that now so yeah music was huge and and uh i remember when the beatles hit i mean that that was a lightning strike to america big time and i remember sitting in front of the tv the Ed Sullivan show, there was only three channels in black and white, and it was the biggest thing in town, and everybody I knew was into the Beatles. Every time a new single would come out, we'd grab it and go to each other's houses and listen to it over and over and over. And I also recall my, my parents taking me to uh, some events, and there'd be bands there, and I'd be at the front of the stage just staring, just, you know, soaking in the vibrations and the frequencies, and to me, it was really magical. And um, my sister got a guitar, and I was jealous, of course. So the next Christmas, I asked my parents for a guitar and got one and started lessons immediately and never stopped. That's amazing. I, I often wonder when the Beatles stepped foot onto that stage on the Ed Sullivan Show, do they, did they know just how many future musicians they were going to inspire by doing that one TV show? Because the amount of interviews you hear, you go, oh, the Beatles and Ed Sullivan. That was it for me. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, they couldn't possibly know. And, you know, that was a little before Facebook. <laughs> 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 News was traveling kind of slow back then. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no way they, they could know the impact that they would have. 
it's crazy isn't it so at what point did you decide then okay i'm enjoying playing this guitar but i want this to be a hobby like i want this to be a career i know you said earlier it was 12 years old but what made you be like no this is my life um <clears throat> i i think one of the major turning points was i i would get my allowance and take my bike down to a record shop once a month and get a guitar player magazine and a bunch of blues cutouts the the cheap you know bottom basement priced stuff i would get a stack of new records to jam along with and in one of the guitar player magazines there was an ad for a guitar symposium at musicians institute which at that time was only guitar guitar institute of technology and it was a, a two or three day workshop over the weekend and uh, i lived in san diego so it was a hundred mile drive and went up there and everything was over my head i mean all these jazz guys talking about substitutions i'm just going wow there's another great piece of information that's over my head splattered on the wall behind me but it was intriguing enough that i took a test to to get into the school and i failed and so i took a I think they suggested a teacher in San Diego, and I took lessons with a guy named Peter Sprague, who was a bebop monster. And it was really, really intense lessons for six months, and it really got me caught up to speed because I, you know, I played blues scales and I'd learned songs from music teachers in in uh, you know shops, um, but I didn't know harmonic minor, I didn't know chord scales, so he really caught me up on that, and I went to the school about six to eight months later it's amazing just how much you can learn just by watching someone else as well and just being like i don't know how to do that yet but i'm going to learn how to do that like... yeah I, as long as you stay inspired um and that's that's pretty much an endless thing especially <clears throat> since the internet's been uh high speed and i got wicked speed at my house <clears throat> you know everybody around the world can see each other now and there's all these people that, you know, most of them will probably never get a record deal or probably never tour in your town, but they're just monsters. They'll just sit there and look at YouTube videos and get better and better and better. Um, and I, I only wish I had that access when I was a teenager. I would have gone bonkers. And, and now the with the digital age, how you can slow things down. And even now with AI, uh, there's a new app called uh, Fader, it's F-A-D-E-R-R. And that, you can put any song into it and it will strip it out as stems. Um, and now it'll even strip out the drums to snare, kick, hi-hat. Yeah, and then you can slow that down and see exactly what people are doing. And there's an app I use a lot called Transcribe that allows me to slow things down, but it'll also slow video down. If you get a great video that you can see the guitar player's hands, you can see what string they're picking on and how they're doing it. Are they sweeping? Are they tapping? You know, I, I would have been all up in that back in the day. Um, I'm a little busier now, but I, I still use all that stuff. I, I use Transcribe to learn everything because, you know, you can't strip out stems with that particular app, but you can EQ it. You can get rid of the bass. You can do karaoke mode rid of the vocals and so what's left is the drums and the keyboard and guitar frequencies so it really helps you be more accurate it's, it's crazy how much technology has changed the industry it really is 
Yeah, and how such young kids are, are getting so badass so quickly. I mean, it makes sense having access to those tools, but my whole point was the inspiration. I, I've discovered guitar players on TikTok that are just mind-boggling. I instantly become a new fan of this person I never heard of before. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Tom, your audio is off. We can't hear you. Sorry, sorry. My, my fucking laptop overheated and I went off. And I was like, you are joking, right? That is, this is the worst time you could have done this. Um, Sorry. What I'm saying was obviously like guitars are going to start evolving into like, I think there's like 12 strings and then it'd be like 14 and be 16 and 20. People will be playing things with like five heads and five necks and it's going to be nuts, I reckon, in the future. Well, yeah, it's Steve Vai is helping to motivate, motivate that with a Hydra guitar. Jesus, I have trouble with six strings, for Christ's sake. I don't need another neck. <laughs> I sometimes look at Steve Vai and just go, you're just showing off now, mate. That's the, you're just showing oh, off. Dude, he, did, he had shoulder surgery and he did a video where he played this just wicked solo with just one hand, just all hammers on hammers and pulls and... You're just going, I, I just want to bitch slap you, all right? It's just, <laughs> <laughs> that's just crazy. Uh, so forgive me if my research skills are absolutely dreadful, but on, when looking on the internet earlier, the earliest thing I could find for you online was your work with Michael. Was that your first professional work or had you done stuff before then? Uh, that was the first decent paying gig for sure. Uh, before then, I was living in North Hollywood and playing in Hollywood and six or seven different bands and uh, mostly original bands that played once a month. <clears throat> um, I had worked with an Elvis impersonator. That was the first tour I ever did in the South Pacific. And uh, I couldn't tell you what I got paid on that, but I remember our gear got stuck in Hawaii, so it never made it to the island. <laughs> and uh, and the promoter ran off with the pre-ticket sales, so we were sleeping on the local chief's floor for the rest oh. of the tour. <laughs> you know, I mean, it sounds ghastly, but at that age, I was going, oh, man, this is the shit. We're on this exotic island, you know, eating fresh fish and playing music and... Oh, I, I was kind of hooked on exploring the world. That's amazing. So let's let's talk about the work with Michael. How did this come about? Were you approached? Did you audition? How how did this happen? I auditioned. Um, I was one of the lucky ones that heard about the auditions. He had a guy looking for people, and they called um, Musicians Institute, which had a referral service. And I was one of the people that they referred. So... I asked when the last possible time I could audition would be so I could stay home and work on tunes. And I, I want to say maybe three days later, I went in and there was no band. It was just me by myself. And the only guidance I was given was to play some funky rhythm because that would be most of the show. <coughs> and I did. And then I started soloing and I played uh, the Giant Steps tapping solo that I worked out for my debut record because I had done a demo for that already. And then I finished with Beat It because I had played that in a, <coughs> a cover band for several years. And uh, a couple days later, I came home to my cassette answering machine, old school, 
and there was a message that said, uh, Michael's interested, come down and play with the band and see how it goes. And next thing I know, I got a passport and a ticket to Tokyo. Oh, Jesus. Oh, show with <laughs> Tokyo. My God. Oh, yeah, you've yeah. the band. Can you come to Japan? Like, yeah? <laughs> yeah, they asked, they asked me if I would be available to take a year and a half off. And I said, take me anywhere for any length of time. It was a gas, man. It, it was just a paid vacation, honestly. I can imagine that. I just, I just love the fact your first show is in, was it the Tokyo Dome as well, like, or Budokan, is it? I can't remember the name of it. It was before the Tokyo Dome was built. It was, uh, I can't remember the name of it. I, I think, I want to say, you know, on that first tour, we, we played Japan twice. We came back with a whole new show at the end of the tour because the tour was a year and a half long. And there were more songs that were released on the radio at that point. He, he didn't want to play anything that hadn't been on the radio. So we came back with a whole other thing. And I want to say the second time the Tokyo Dome was ready for us. Absolutely. So that, it was 1987, many, many years ago. So is, is that how it worked back then? Like you find out who's holding auditions and you just go along? Well, you know, I found out it, it really, most of them are word of mouth. And you got to be in the cliques and I'm not that social and I didn't go to parties or anything. Uh, when I moved from San Diego to LA, the musicians union there had a rule that if you're going to join the musicians union, you have to show up every Monday for six weeks, basically to prove you actually live there because they have a much better musicians deal than other states because it's so busy with the film industry and record industry. And so every Monday I would come and they had this big book of gigs that were available and I'd flip through and go bar mitzvahs, weddings, all this stuff I had no interest in. And finally I asked the guy behind the counter, I go, well, where are the cool gigs at? And he just kind of chuckled and said, it's word of mouth. And it, it kind of was. Um, Michael had wanted David Williams. He's the, the guitar you hear on uh, a lot of Michael's stuff, Billie Jean, the solo in Billie Jean and a lot of Madonna's top songs but he was out with madonna and that, that tour was extended so they had to get other players and paul jackson had a a sub john clark that he used a lot so he suggested john i don't know if john even had to audition honestly um but they needed two guitar players and the other one was audition that's amazing so who else did you audition for back in the day? Was it just the, you got the first one, Michael, or did you audition for other people? I went straight screaming to the top, dude. I The only other audition I had done was for a cover band. And my dad had given me a loan when I moved to L.A. to get started. And that money went away so fast. And, you know, it just got to the point where, shit, I'm going to have to get a day job if I don't get this last gig that I'm auditioning for. I mean, there was no name auditions before Michael, um, but I learned a bunch of songs. I even sang. And at the end of the audition, the guy goes, yeah, that was really good. But, you know, we always have trouble with chicks. And I thought, why would you even waste my time, for God's sake? So that didn't happen. I had to get a day job. I was a security guard from midnight to eight. And I was trying to get enough students in the afternoon to live on. And it, I wasn't sleeping. It was hellish for a, a good six months. And then I ended up uh, the security guard gig, lost the contract and I ended up 
taken Scott Henderson's place at Musicians Institute teaching because he was off on tour. And um, I, I stayed there for uh, a couple of years till I got the Jackson audition. It's, I, I just can't go over what you're saying there. Like, was it chicks could nothing but hassle? Who says that? <laughs> I think, you know, it, it's so long ago and stories change mind. It So I don't know if this is something I often told friends or actually told the guy, look, I'll bring my own tampons. <laughs> I'm low maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> I only hope that he knows that I got that gig afterwards. Like, (laughs) (laughs) was it quite? I bet it's quite. Obviously, back in the day, obviously it's quite a male-dominated industry. Back then, obviously not so much now. Was it quite tough as a female guitarist trying to break through? You know, I was kind of ignorant. I had blinders on when I when I went to the Guitar Institute. It was the first time I really realized what a rare career choice it was because I was the only woman with 59 guys going to the school that wanted a career like that. Um, I I can't say that it was tough because I was in six, seven bands by the time I got the Jackson. Any band that was prejudiced against women obviously wouldn't have me, but there was plenty that would. So... um, I, I just had a, you know, a string of really lucky breaks, and they, you know, once you get the biggest tour in the world, that's that just kind of breaks down a lot of barriers. And before I had gotten with Jackson, um, Wendy and Lisa were well known being with Prince and that big movie and Purple Rain and the whole art. So I really thought that the revolution was happening back then in '87, and then you know, 10, 15 years go by and crickets. It's just like no change whatsoever. But I think with the help of the internet and as people got higher and higher speeds and YouTube, you were able to upload your videos, then people could see each other and get inspired. And I often say there's not a month that goes by that I don't get turned on to some seven-year-old girl in Indonesia that can kick my ass. You know? <laughs> so they're all around the world. In fact, you know, that triggered a memory. I did a... um I judged a guitar contest in India years ago. And there was a girl that, I mean, she was the reincarnation of Robert Johnson. She had such a great groove and I voted her number one and the other guys, the, the, the other guys were shredders, like 80 shredders kind of guys. And judges accused me of voting for her because she was female. And I, I thought she was the most musical one on stage. So and I just I just I read an update of her. I think she's she's either gone to Juilliard or Berkeley since then. I think she's living in America, and we'll be hearing about her. I, I cannot remember her name, but went yeah, off on a tangent there. Yes, no, it's good. We like tangents, but that's amazing though. I think that's bullshit. That obviously they were like, oh, it's just because she's a woman. And it's like, well, no, she could probably kick all your asses as well. So that's probably why you you probably feel the jealousy bug a little bit there. <laughs> Um, oh God! But you 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 got to play the Super Bowl halftime show in nineteen ninety three, the 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 Cowboys and the Bills game, and I mean, in front of one point six billion people, I think watched that worldwide. That must have been an unbelievable feeling. That's the, known as the biggest gig ever on live TV. Is that correct? 
I didn't know at the time it was going to be, but I knew it was huge. And it was really interesting. It was really fun because it's only ever going to happen once. Uh, very unlikely I'll ever go back there. Um, and it was a, you know, a show specifically put together for that that was not our normal touring show. So that was fun. And I specifically remember there was parts of the stage that somebody would shoot a pop gun and these guys two per section would roll these big pieces of stage out into the center of the field and they had to do it really fast because you only have the time of a couple of potato chip commercials to get that together and get the band on there and ready to go and so there was an excitement about that and it's the only time i ever felt that michael was nervous because the pressure had to be enormous not only because of what he was doing, but because it wasn't his audience. It was a football audience. Mm. And when in the beginning doing his normal thing where he stares, he pops out of the stage and has sunglasses off and just dead silence for a long time. These are football people going next. Whereas in his own show, they'd just be screaming the whole time. And then he'd pull his sunglasses off and there's a whole other wave of screams that didn't really happen at that. So it, it was just all kinds of different. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying that with Michael, how he's nervous and stuff like that. What was Michael like as a person? Because obviously us as people, we only know him as this musical genius. But you yes. got to spend like free world tours with the man. Did you get to spend much time with him, get to know him, or was it musicians are over I, there? <laughs> I'm not one of those people that because I was on the tour, I call him a friend. He wasn't. We never got any real deep communication time. Um, most we ever communicated was during rehearsals at the bad tour. There was a lot of time on two solid months. Well, the first month was the band by themselves, singers by themselves, dancers by themselves. But the second month was in a full production stage with Michael. And there's always a lot of downtime when you have special effects that are happening for the first time and they don't quite work the first time or we're out front watching the pyro that's going to happen in a song. We did have plenty of time with him, but in part because of who he was, I mean, the biggest star in the world. In fact, a couple of months before I got the gig with him, I remember my sister and I were joking that about his marketing. Like, there's Michael Jackson toothpaste. There's Michael Jackson pots and pans. It's like everything is Michael Jackson in the, in the 80s. Um, so it felt a little awkward to talk to him. I, I was a, a little shy. And we would make some small talk, and I do remember one time he came over to a, a little cluster of us during a break and asked if who had been to Europe before. And I don't think any of us had. And so he really got off on that, being able to show us the world as part of the gig. But he also kind of sighed and said, I've been going there since I was five. And he goes, I feel like an old man. And he was 29. So he, he lived a lot of lifetimes within his life. To be fair. It's a, you saying that then about Michael being on everything and everywhere. My favorite band in the world is Kiss. He gets no judgment from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? There, there was one gig. I, I remember this so well in Cork, Ireland. I had a dream the night before the show 
that hardly anybody showed up and that we played in a canyon and there was people on top of the canyon that were there for free but nobody paid to come in it's like there was zero marketing or something and of course it was just a dream but also in cork that was one place in the world that every single shop was about michael they had michael clocks and t-shirts and i went into a diner and all of the all of the food listed was like the dirty diana omelet the billy jean burger <laughs> it was just the hugest thing that had ever hit that town that's amazing yeah we we mentioned earlier about the the solo for beat it had you yeah. ever spoken to eddie about that solo? i know you mastered it before being in tribute bands but had you ever spoken to eddie about like about learning how to play that or anything like that afterwards he made me play it for him during a break in the bad tour i had a gig that was already booked with a band i had been playing with and eddie was next door with his tech working out sounds or something and i remember i i came to rehearsal and it was one of those la days where the traffic was horrible and it was hot and awful and i was stressed out and i showed up late to rehearsal and that band manager ran up to my car and said, Eddie Van Halen's next door and he wants you to prove you can play the Beat It solo. And I just looked at him and go, no. <laughs> <laughs> Partly because all of my cool guitars were on the road. <clears throat> and I just had a Steinberger with that wacky trim. And I, I felt really uncomfortable. But his tech finally came over and said, well, will you just say hi to him? And I go, well, of course. And so I walk in, and as soon as I did, he strapped his 5150 Strat on me. And which, anytime I play a guy's guitar, it hangs down to my knees. I, I, I wear mine a lot higher than most your average rocker. And so I played it for him, and it was a little bit awkward because I, I have my tremolo set, so I know where it is at all times, and his would swing. So anytime I went to reach for it, it's like, oh, where the hell is it? I have to grab it. <laughs> And then and then he put the guitar on and tried to remember the solo because he, he just played it down. He never played it in his band. So and it had been oh, was this, this was 1987 or 1988. And I think he recorded it in maybe 84. So it had been years. And obviously he picked it up really quickly. And I, I would have given anything to have a smartphone back there and, and video it because although we were playing exactly the same notes, there were several passages where he was playing it a different way. And still, there, there's one passage that he does this ridiculous stretch that I, I can't manage, so I have to bring in the right hand and tap a note that he just stretches to. It's a bitch of a solo. There's several things in there that if I don't get a harmonica out, I'm going, ah, God, now i got 12 more bars. I'm just going to be pouting. Out <laughs> <laughs> of interest, when was the last time you played it? The last time, oh, I'm constantly playing it. The last couple of years, for some reason, all of the tributes have come out of the woodwork. And last year I played with seven different Jackson tributes, which sounds like an easy gig, but they all sing in different keys. They all have different formats and I have to study for every single one. In fact, I'm doing one Saturday that all the keys are so different. I'm bringing an E flat guitar because it's just easier to manage. Um, there's a couple of them that are just amazing. And they're both, the top ones really are Brazilian for some reason. It's not, I mean, Brazilian, Brazil has so many great musicians. 
just ridiculous. Matias Asado, Lori Basilio, and a lot of old school guys. I mean, Joe Beam, obviously. Um, but the, these are real money productions. And to put on a Michael Jackson show is not cheap. And these guys got full LED screens in the back and ramps and Rodrigo Teaser, somebody that I just played with a couple of weeks ago, he's got the thing called the toaster that, that pops you out of the stage, which, you know, you can't travel with that. It'd just be a ridiculous expense. But in Brazil, we used it. Um, and it, it takes a lot of money, a lot of effort. Um, you got to have the costumes. They have to be custom made. And then the dancers, you got to provide costumes for the dancers. So. People have asked me if I ever wanted to start my own, and I go, oh, hell no. I don't <laughs> want that kind of stress. Even if I had a sugar daddy, I didn't want the responsibility of putting that together. But it's really fun. <laughs> it's really fun to play with them, um, all of them. They, they all have – their shows are all different. So it's, it's fun in that respect. And, you know, a lot of the people that come to the shows weren't even born when Michael was happening. So it's as close as they can get. I've been doing one for six, seven years in the UK. I go over a couple times a year with Navi. And that's a totally different production, really fun show. And he's been touring the UK since he was a teenager. So it's been decades and a really healthy fan base that'll come out every time. That's amazing. When you, when you um, obviously joined Michael Jackson, obviously being from the seven bands, was it quite, obviously the contrast is quite drastic going from playing to so many little people to then all of a sudden it's a worldwide thing. How did that feel for you? Was that quite daunting? Or were you like, come on, bring it on, bitch, let's do this shit? It was daunting. It, it, I remember the first uh, interview I did, my teeth were chattering just because I, I think anybody that comes up that reads Guitar Player Magazine or Guitarist in the UK, you read these interviews and you have this fantasy in your mind. Well, what if they asked me the, the same question? What would I say about my gear or whatever? And all of a sudden it's like, boom, here you go. And it's, it's a huge adjustment. Um, a lot of jealousy. You know, people that were doing the same scene, all of a sudden you're elevated and they're jealous. Mm. Not just me, but the dancers experience that. There's all different aspects that nothing could prepare you for. But, you know, it's not like going to war, like, holy shit, you're just fight or flight every day. It's, it's more like, in fact, I, I remember when I landed in Tokyo and got into my hotel room, I remember the thought that I thought I would feel different. I always was pointed towards a similar trajectory, whether it was Michael or some other band. But I, you know, I was really disappointed that I was still me with the thoughts that I had, you know, three months ago. <laughs> so it's, it's very hard to explain unless you've been through it. I can imagine, to be fair. Like, it's got to be so surreal. It really has. Yeah, and all of a sudden, um, I remember, you know, Ibanez was huge in, in the 80s. Everybody started playing Ibanez. And... They were putting tens of thousands of dollars into ads and guitar magazines. And, you know, they, they made people pop like Frank Cambali and Scott Henderson. And you'd see them with these bright colored guitars. And I thought, man, I want to be with Ibanez. And I had worked at Valley Arts Guitar Shop teaching lessons in North Hollywood. 
and um, there was a retail guy that I knew that I worked with that went to Ibanez, and I thought, great, I my connection, and crickets, nothing. Oh. As soon as I got the Jackson gig, it's like, boom, we'll bring you a trunk of guitars to choose from, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that <clears throat> opens up a whole new world of uh, options, uh, obviously gear endorsements and stuff, um, but also crit critique, especially at that time, you know, there's super badasses. There's Nita Strauss and Neely Brosh and Laurie Basilio. So there's a lot of people on the scene that are super badass players. But back then, you know, if you go back to the jealousy, I think there was a lot of guys that were super pissed off. And even more pissed off when I got the Jeff Beck gig. I mean, that hit a lot closer to home. You know? Oh. <laughs> In fact, you know, uh, for before I got the Jeff gig, I had a session with Angela Bofield, singer, and I flew to Chicago to do it. And Hiram Bullock was hired to do the rhythm guitar, and I was doing the solo on a song. And Angela introduced me to Hiram and said, this is Jennifer. She plays with Michael Jackson. And he looks me up and down and goes, oh, so it was a looks thing. And I thought, you bastard, you haven't heard me play one note. Yeah, welcome to my world. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Sphinx motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> that was my impression. Well, that's all I got to say about that. I, I've been, I mean, overall, I've been very lucky. I've gotten great gigs and whatever, you know, backlash I've, I've gotten um, hasn't been horrible. That's nuts. Before we move on from Michael, we've got to talk about it. I mentioned it at the start. We've got to talk about it. The mask. Where did this <laughs> come from? Where where was the idea for this mask? Drum roll. Somebody <laughs> had given Michael Jackson um, an actual. It was a beautiful art book of airbrushed paintings with the subject of S and M, and there there was this you know leather mask leather coming across the nose, under the chin, and a ball gag. And somebody showed me that and goes, that's what he wants. And I'm going, uh, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can you imagine doing a two hour show with a ball gag in your mouth, like drooling on your strings and what that would do to your jaw? And I go, dude, ask him if we can lose the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and he was totally cool with it. I mean, it's the most ghastly, dreadful look. And at that point, I just got justified in my mind, just going, okay, it's it's not just a concert. It's not just music. It's theater. So I'm playing a part. So that's how mentally I got through it. And honestly, it was a lot easier to put on because the wig was attached to that. Instead, in the, in the first tour, it, it would take hours. I had these wefts of hair sewn into the back of my head for volume and then hours of teasing and hairspray and ugh, two and a half hours for every show with with the history tour it was like boom here's your leather headdress done <laughs> i was gonna say the hair looked absolutely magnificent coming out the top of it as well <laughs> you know it it was magnificent and when the tour was over i just didn't want to go out because i couldn't do that myself 
And I thought, well, I got to have something on my head. So I started wearing hats. <laughs> but the so question gone... is, do you still have one of those masks? Oh, no, no. <laughs> I did. Uh, at the end of the bad tour, they wanted to sell us the costumes and nobody was buying it. And so they <laughs> ended up giving it to us all. And I took, I took the laser headdress that I had, which is, you know, useless without having the actual laser machine. Um, and I ended up selling a bunch of stuff to Hard Rock and Julian's auctions. You know, after it's been in your closet for 20 years, you go, why? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I did want to mention, um, I wasn't sure on the time scale of this, so I thought I'd just throw it in here now. You auditioned to play for Ozzy, is that right? Oh, I didn't get an audition. I, I wanted oh. to audition and I learned a bunch of tunes, but, um, and I know I, I got my demo to the right people, but I just didn't get a chance. And he was auditioning tons of people in LA. Um, I know there was an article that came out about that that made me sound really pissy and it's unfortunate because, you know, I was bummed I didn't even get a chance at the time, but honestly, I wouldn't have been right for that band and my mother would have been really distraught. <laughs> he was rehearsing at a, the same rehearsal studios that I was at at one point and I did run into him and I, I like a dope I mentioned him eating bats and then he knew about my flight at the Bumblebee video and he goes well you were covered with bees so what the fuck oh. <laughs> I go you got me there <laughs> Yeah, but I didn't eat them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't get rabies. I'm allergic now, though, sadly. Oh, to bees. I am, yeah. I, I got through the video okay, but um, a year later, I was walking up a mountain, and I knew there, there was this area where they had a bunch of bee boxes that they would use for um, poll pollinating. And I thought, now I met one with the bees. I've done this thing. And I got stung and I continued to walk and I thought I pulled the stinger out and boy, 20 minutes later, I wanted to rip my scalp off. It was so itchy. I hauled ass back to my car, which was a, at least a half hour, maybe more of a walk and called my dad early cell phone time. And he just said, get to urgent care, you know, cause obviously I was allergic at that point. Thankfully, it didn't close up my throat. It just hit me in another way. But I do carry an EpiPen now in case next time isn't so lucky. But yeah. The things you do to sell records. Stupid. Speaking of the uh, flight of the Angry Bumblebee, in between tours with Michael, you started making your own solo records, starting with Above, Below and Beyond. What made you decide to start making your own records? Uh, I was on the path. I, I wanted to be a somebody, you know, that's kind of what you do. You, you know, once you've spent X amount of years playing, you want to express yourself on, on record, or at least I did. Um, I will say when I was at guitar school, I thought a year from now, I'll have my first record out. And 10 years later, <laughs> it finally happened. But um, yeah, I wanted to be on that path. I wanted to 
I mean, Joe Satriani was huge at the time, and Steve Vai were touring as instrumental guitar players, and I thought, like, why not me? So I was able to put that record out, and um, then I got another Jackson tour. I got the Dangerous tour, right? The Above, Below, and Beyond record came out. So I was able to use that and all the travel we were doing to do promotion and hire a, a publicist to do interviews. Sadly, though, uh, the record company didn't have anything happening in Europe. And so all the buzz and all the magazines, nobody could get the record. Uh, <clears throat> and so whatever, it did what it did. And then I put out the next record myself, Momentum, with Glenn Sobel, who's doing so well now. Uh, I mean, he spent a lot of years in LA hoping for a good gig. And he's been with Alice Cooper for at least a dozen years now. And Right now, he's out with the Hollywood Vampires. I just saw a, a great video. They're they're doing a tribute to Jeff Beck because Johnny Depp is in that, and that was his bestie the last six years. Um, and then when I did my next record, uh, starting to mix it when I tour, so that was a real crunch. That was really stressful trying to do all of that and do these long rehearsals. So I put out. Um, oh, that, those two records. And then the, the third record was all the stuff I wrote for Jeff Beck when I was with him, except for I think one track I, I wrote after that. And it's all the stuff that he didn't take. I put out myself on the, um, I can't even, oh, it's called Whatever. <laughs> I was thinking, <laughs> I can't think of the name of the record. It's called Whatever. And that that's also a DVD because I got into filmmaking at that point and launched a solo show where I play in sync with films. Oh, awesome. That sounds awesome. Was there ever an idea to record vocals of your music? Or did you go in and go, nope, this is going to be instrumental and that is it? Well, I don't sing for shit. <laughs> I, I gave a concert for my friends when I was 18. That was my first performance ever. And I had worked on all these Doobie Brothers and Allman Brothers and Led Zeppelin covers for months and months and months. And I had an electric show and an acoustic show. And I had all my friends there, which was probably a dozen people. And I filled the cooler with some cheap wine. And <laughs> and a funny thing happened. All of a sudden, when I had an audience, my voice didn't behave the same because I was nervous. And I couldn't easily hit the notes that I hit prior. And I listened to the recording the next day and stopped singing for 20 years um and then i mean there's a whole thing of working with singers right <laughs> anybody that's been in a band knows that there's always going to be some kind of drama there um and, and like i said satriani was huge so i thought okay instrumental is a thing so that's what i want to do because that's what i do i want to play the melodies and the solos so that's what I did. There was, uh, it was the producer that got a, a singer to sing Respect on my first record. But um, I, I really don't have any other vocals except on the third record, I have a, a bunch of samples of stuff. It's, it's not Mr. That's what I really enjoyed about listening to that first time. You're not sitting there going, where's the vocals? Because of the way you play it, it's sort of like oh, guitar does the vocals, if that makes any sense, what I'm trying to say. That, that's what I'm trying to go for. I think I think I think most musicians that play instruments are frustrated vocalists because that's the ultimate in emotion. There's so much you can do with your voice. 
and in fact, funny you should say that because I did a, another record with a singer named Mark Scher uh, called Battle Zone. It's called the Scher Batten. Um, and that's a record I didn't even know I was doing because he hired me to do sessions and I did three or four solos. And he called me up and said, your, your guitar sounds like another voice on the record, so I want you to be a bigger part of it. And the record was almost done except for solos. So it was a lot more painless than doing my own stuff. So I ended up playing on every track and that was put out, but you know, the, the music industry has gone to shit. So unless you've got a huge label that's going to really push it and get you on endless tours and all that. Um, and even if that happens, you're not going to make any money these days, you know, cause everybody can get your stuff for free. Um, and streaming pays like five bucks for f five million spins or something. And so you got to think of other ways to make money, which for me is live playing and doing um, instructional videos for truefire.com. And I, I do a lot of recording. People send me tracks from around the world, and I love doing that when I'm. It's amazing. Like, we speak to a lot of young musicians, and when we do this show, we do some work for another company and a lot of them are saying you know like we've still got full-time jobs we can't do this for a living it's just not viable anymore yeah and you know in america the a lot of our industries are going through the same thing the the writer's strike is is because the money's not there and the money's not there a lot of people are stealing it or streaming is so cheap that the revenue that they got 20 years ago is not the same and now the actors are talking about going on strike as well. And then you got AI coming in that can replace writers potentially. So they're trying to put it in their contract that you can't use AI. And of course the money people are gonna go, well, why would we wanna pay you if we can get it for free? It's a really crazy time right now for art. And art has always been a scuffle, almost always. You know, back at Robert Johnson, what, what did he get, 50 bucks to record an entire record that, that took him probably years to get together? You, you can't just fart out a new record every six months. Well, Joe Bonamassa does, <laughs> but most people, most people can't do that. I mean, creatively, if nothing else. Yeah. It's, just go back. No, I was just going to say the whole AI thing. I mean, you totally lose human emotion, so... It'll almost become. I think it'll become quite boring because it would be so monotonous and robotic in a way. Basically, is what it is, isn't it? You, you lose that sort of creative sort of mindset and style of this person or that person or whatever. It's just going to be like, write me a movie about this. And be like, blah, blah, there you go. I don't know. It's, it's kind of loses. It's just it's killing the industry massively. Like technology has advanced way too far now, and it's just destroying everything. It, it's a hard call, you know, um, I mean, they said the same thing when drum machines came out and one of uh, drummers would hate me, but one of my favorite drum solos of all time is, uh, is programmed. So, oh. uh, I can't think of the artist right now. He's a techno guy that just, you know, he, you get the sounds that an acoustic drum kit can't get. And if you have a human running it, that's putting creativity into it or combining it with AI. I mean, it, you know, so much of what's on the radio now sounds like a formula anyway. 
And yeah. it's just a human formula going, okay, these last 50 songs all had this, they're at this tempo. In fact, I, I used to do sessions for this Italian techno uh, producer and they, they had a limit of, I wanna say, they could only go from 160 beats a minute to 164. That was their range. You know, and the formula is verse, verse, chorus, maybe a solo. So that formula is already there. And if you plug that into AI and say, make me a fascinating love song with, you know, these elements, it could come up with some stuff, not on its own and not today. I don't think, because I've experimented a little bit with chat GPT. In fact, I said, okay, I've had the same biography for years now. So write an engaging biography. And so they wrote, uh, and Jennifer Batten was playing in clubs at 15 years old. And I thought, my mother would have been so pissed. I was not. <laughs> 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 but, you know, I'm not going to use things that are untrue, but there might be elements I can take of that. Because, I mean, it's just drawing from stuff that's already out there. Mm. But then Sarah Silverman, the comedian, is suing, I don't know if it's ChatGPT or something, for stealing her comedy. But it's, it's very interesting times. It's like the old west of what's going to get through. And government is always so slow that artists tend to get screwed way before there's any rules put in place for a new technology. It's it's a crazy world, like you said. And chat me GBT, it is, it is it is quite fun. I remember ages ago, we, when it first came out, we did an interview. I was like, I'm intrigued. So I literally wrote, give me questions for an interview with this person. And it gave me like 15 questions. And then, I think I used like one or two of them. I was like, these are actually good questions. Cheers. And it's yeah. crazy that it can do that, though. Well, you just look at the factories that are using robots to do human work. It, it just makes sense that everybody wants to make more money for the the least amount of output. So there you go. It's it, it's not anything we can control. So you just kind of got to suck your thumb with it. <laughs> Back to stuff you can control. And what you could control was your second album, Momentum. Love my little segue. Um, you, you sort of used a different approach to that, and you could feel a lot more like worldly influences on that record. What, where did that idea come from? Was from that was that from touring the world and hearing all these different sounds, or was it just something you wanted to try? I think it's a combination of things. And one was Sunday mornings watching Tarzan movies and that all took place in Africa, or in theory, in Africa, and the tribal drums and just the whole scene in the jungle that it set would just, you know, when you're a kid, you're, you're not thinking about that. What's my next appointment? Uh, what's happening at noon? Got to walk the dog. It's like, you're in it. You're in the jungle with Tarzan. Combined with one of my favorite bands of all time is Weather Report. And there are so many ethnic influences um, through those records and Joe Zawinul's solo material too. I just love it. So, yeah, that, that just made sense for an angle that I wanted to go for. And that record, I was kind of celebrating my freedom because ADATs were born. So all of a sudden, you can make a record at home instead of when I did my first record, I got the shit hours. Um, there was a rapper, the first act on 
I can't think of the Jimmy Iovine. Uh, it's a huge label that started with rap. Uh, there was a, a a rapper, a Latin rapper named Gerardo that had a huge hit, Rico Suave, and he he had the big money budget and he got the daylight hours, and I had the little record company budget and I got the shit hours and I usually wouldn't record before two or three in the morning, and I never knew, you know, I'd I'd be waiting for a call and just falling asleep and I ended up putting aluminum foil on my window so I could sleep during the day. It, it was, it was rough, but during the process of doing my first record with this producer, he would leave me alone with the, um, it was like a hundred thousand dollar ADAT at that time. One of the first digital recording machines. And I learned to punch myself in and that, that was a great lesson. And so when I had ADATs, I was able to do everything myself. Except record drums. I went to a pro studio for that and got Glenn Sobel in there. And it was just the three of us, Glenn Sobel, me, and Ricky Walking, this bass player, who um, at the time, long before the internet, I would go down to Hollywood and there was a, a magazine called Music Connection. And you could go there and find musicians in a Rolodex and, and listen to their cassettes. And so I would go down there for hours into a bunch of people to form a band. And this guy did yakety sax on bass. And I go, you're my guy. And his personality was just like how he played. And I, I loved his sound. I loved playing with him. Great attitude. And the three of us loved playing together. And we honestly rehearsed the whole record in his mother's shoe closet, in Glenn's mother's shoe closet. <laughs> <laughs> she was a ballerina and she had probably 200 pairs of shoes. And so it was, it was big enough to put a drum kit and a little bass amp and a little guitar amp. So that, that was really guerrilla recording, doing it all ourselves and putting it out on my label. I have since learned that I'm shit at business. <laughs> I just had it in mind when you were something like this in the closet, like, yeah, is that, are, you, are you in? Are you in? Get in. Come on. And then you all just hear the plan like this. <laughs> I, I probably, oh, we all probably got some horrendous ear damage from the concussion of that small space. But then, you know, fast forward to three years with Jeff Beck and there are no frequencies left in my ears. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I mean, my, my ears are so damaged that I, I cannot play with a band without some kind of protection. And uh, for musicians listening, that here's the coolest thing you can do. There's a company called Sonix that makes in-ear monitors. And they, I think last year or the year before, they put out the cheapest model yet of a thing called 3D Ambient. And they're in-ear monitors that connect to a box. And <clears throat> not only can you have somebody send you a mix, uh, but you can, there's a microphone in each ear and on the box, you can dial in how much outside ambience you want. And so I, any show I go to, I will listen, whether I'm participating in the show or in the audience or even a comedian, because they will always scream into the mic at some point and it's hard on my ears. I will listen at about a third of the volume but it, it's not like plugs that you miss so many frequencies and the dynamics. Um, you, you actually have these great microphones. So um, it's, it's actually, they merged with a company called ASI and you can get them on Amazon for $800. Uh, 
And the originals were $2,500, so it's a steal. Um, so that that's how I I manage now. There, there's no way I I could play with a band live without some kind of protection. It's, it's crazy to think like how much damage you must do over the years being on stage, having loud music blaring at you. You don't really think about it when you're just watching a band, but yeah, you think, yeah, it's got to be a lot. I've read that ears take 48 hours to repair. And if you're playing every night, you don't have a chance. And I remember some nights playing with Jeff Beck. I mean, it his tone was so glorious. I, I felt like I could listen to him at any volume. But the bass and drums, that was, those are another story. And I remember going going to sound check, and my ears were hot and sensitive before we went to sound check. And I, I tried wearing earplugs, and you know, if it was on eleven for the whole show, like a Metallica show or something, it'd be one thing. But you know, you'd be playing rice pudding with him. Da 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 da. I think that's the one. And and then he'd go down to a whisper, and I would find invariably I wouldn't realize that I had this delay going uh because I, I wasn't hearing it with the, the plugs in and i just eventually just got rid of them and Rhonda smith played with him for 13 years with bugs and that girl's got to be damaged because she was right next to the drums between drums and guitar so yeah ears are sensitive and you know once you've lost those frequencies you don't get them back warning the youngsters yeah we've, we've spoke about jeff quite a few times now we should probably talk about him really when you got off tour with michael in 97 you didn't really get a break because you then went to start working with jeff beck i read somewhere that jeff was a real early influence on you is that right oh absolutely yeah ever since i first heard him on the radio um there was several tracks on the blow by blow record in 74 that were playing on mainstream F FM radio. And I, boy, I mean, I, I was into blues like BB King and John Lee Hooker. Um, Mama get mad at Papa when he don't bring no coffee home. And I love that stuff. But and of course, I was listening to pop radio and Led Zeppelin and that kind of stuff that was out at the time. But something about Jeff's guitar just spoke to me and millions of others. It, it was the biggest selling instrumental record for decades. Um, and I listened to it over and over and over and over. And I was working at a record shop when his follow-up record came out the next year called Wired. And I remember I knew this record was coming out, you know, and I knew the day it was going to drop. And then the shipping company drops it at our front door and I you know, rip it open, put on the vinyl. And I didn't get it at first because it was so different from blow by blow. It took a minute to grow on me because that was Jan Hammer instead of Max Middleton and it's a whole different vibe. But then that favorite record. And um, when I was at GIT, Steve Lynch, who ended up in a band called Autograph, they had a hit called Turn Up the Radio in the 80s. Uh, we had an assignment to transcribe a tune with a solo and play it live with a band. They were hiring bands at that time because it was before drums and bass were in the school. 
and Steve Lynch, we were all doing these bebop jazz things or Latin, something or other. And Steve played because we ended his lovers off blow by blow. And that knocked my socks off. I thought that is more exciting. And that moves me so much more than any of the other things that I'm hearing or playing myself. And so I took it upon myself after school was over. I learned every solo and song on those two records just back to back. And I had in my mind that I would get on stage and do a Jeff Beck tribute. And I put in all that time and then I got scared and <laughs> didn't do anything. <laughs> but I mean, talk about an education, you know, trying to play what he was playing. And I mean, he invented so much stuff that we take for granted now, because those were early days of fuzz boxes and amps and you know, they invented the path for the rest of us to follow that era. Um, just the bending and the harmonics and the just stuff. He could just play a noise on stage and it had impact, like an exclamation point. You know, it, just the tone that he would get. And he, he played so unusually, had these big ass farmer hands, right? And <laughs> really powerful thumb and what he did with the tremolo bar just uh it's hard to match i mean i challenge any guitar player play where were you and do it in tune i won't even try because it's it's impossible and jeff said himself that he struggled in the studio but you're gonna play it live and it's like 99 percent there he had such a good ear if his guitar was out of tune, he'd bend it in tune. Unreal. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it must have been amazing then to actually feature on Who Else and uh, you had it coming, his his two albums when you were there. Um, must have been, an, obviously, if he's been a massive influence on you, then to be able to actually be on his records must have been incredible. Oh, just the call. When he called me up, uh, I uh, when the Dangerous Tour happened, well, let me back up. There, there was a keyboard player, Rory Kaplan, that was on the, the bad tour. <clears throat> and I was talking about Jeff and he goes, oh, I, I did some teching for Jeff when he was out with Jan. I'll introduce you to, well, the bastard never did. So oh. the next tour comes up and I go, I know that the dangerous tour is going to England and I know Jeff lives in England. So let's match it up. <laughs> and I went through different channels and invited him to a show at Wembley Stadium and two opening acts went on and then Michael canceled the show. And it turns out Jeff was turned away at the gate because he, he missed the openers and wanted to come to see me and Michael. <laughs> and so I was so distraught. I thought this just sucks. And so I called him up and said, you know, I don't know when or if they're going to make up the show, but can I meet you anyway? And he said, sure. So the next day I went to uh, Townhouse Studios where he was recording his rockabilly record. And I met him, listened to stuff that he was doing. And during a break, I asked him to play Blue Wind off the Wired record. And I had one of those old school video cameras long before the smartphone. And I didn't charge the battery. I got about 10 seconds of it. But I, I know, I know, I love your reaction for that. And so I got the spare battery that also had 10 seconds. But anyway, just watching him do it, although I had learned all the notes, I wasn't playing it the way he was playing it. 
he had he was bending things that I was just playing the note that on, and it just opened up a whole the heavens opened up. Um, it was such an education that day, and it, we we chatted for a while, and thankfully I, I had a couple friends with me because although I knew his music, I didn't know him as a person, so it was a little awkward, you know. We weren't friends. Um, so we ended up talking for an hour and then he drove me back to my hotel in his Batmobile, which anytime he has, you know, half a mile free, he's going to have the pedal to the metal. And it was, I was thinking, man, if I'm going to die in a fiery car crash, this is a rock and roll way to go. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I, I probably wouldn't ever see him again, but I got my autograph and I was able to give him a copy of my first CD that was out at, at that point. And uh, a video, MTV in, in the UK was playing the Flight of the Bumblebee video on Headbangers Ball late at night. And so I had just gotten an interview that I had done with them on a VHS or what do you call it? A PAL, PAL format, which we can't play in America. So I gave him a copy of that and just went about my way. And he called me a couple, I want to say a month or two later and said, I finally listened to your record and let's record together. And it, you know, I was just mind blown. I would have given anything to have that conversation recorded because it was just, it was a dream I didn't have. I just admired the guy and, you know, any interview he did, I would try to speak it out and learn from it. And every record that he did, I would listen to a million times. So, um, it it didn't happen for another five years. He did a couple tours in between, and I would go see him on tour, and he he would say, "We're we're gonna play together," and I always thought, "Well, you're saying that because I'm in your face. I know how it is to be inspired in the moment, and then you're on to something else." Well, he called me up and said, "We got a tour of video or a tour of a uh, video." Just had a a thing pop up. Yeah, that's the squirrel mind of today, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh tour of italy and he just went on the faith of two records at that point and i thought man you're bonkers i mean we've never played together how can you just say come tour with me so i had a a session booked in milan spammer um and so i flew over and i also booked myself to to london and took a train down to his house, which was a whole other story because I public transport and me are a whole different thing, <laughs> <laughs> especially with the British trains. <clears throat> and I ended up I learned the guitar shop record and played it for him in his presence just to make sure he wasn't bonkers. And we played three or four songs and then he started playing with me. And then his wife brought out the whiskey about midnight and we just partied all night and I had to fly out the next day and do this session in Milan and it wasn't good. I was in bad shape. <laughs> and I mean, going from that, can you imagine being hungover and then you got to do this 164 beat techno that's gang, 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 gang. And the fills were, were like four notes. Okay, fill here. We got another bill coming up here. It's just, just awful. And I just begged him. You know, we we worked for a couple of hours, and I begged him to just uh, let me sleep it off, and let's take this up in the, the next day. <laughs> but back to the British trains. Okay, this is my first train experience. I'm all excited. I'm going down to Jeff's place. 
Well, I didn't know from first class or regular class. I just get in the closest car and it was empty. And I'm looking at every stop, making sure I stop at my proper stop. I see the stop and I go for the door and there's no handle. There's no way to open the train door. And, you know, before I know it, the train starts up again. I'm like, oh, shit, what a nightmare. Then I discover you, you open the window and you got to grab the handle from the outside. What is, is your finances that bad in Britain that you can't afford a goddamn handle on both sides of your train? <laughs> so <laughs> going to the next stop past where I was at, and thank God I had a couple pound coins and there was a payphone there that I could call up and call his wife and his wife was able to they must have had a smartphone at that time um, to call him. And so he grabbed me at the next stop. But Jesus Christ, talk about panic. So Jeff, get in the Batmobile. Jennifer's lost again. Come on, come get her. <laughs> he was very forgiving. <laughs> yeah, and he was going, yeah, bollocks, the British trains are shite. I can imagine working with Jeff, though, must have been a completely different beast from working with Michael, especially with him being a guitar player as well. What were some of those biggest things you took away from that time working with Jeff? Because the man is a, a fucking genius. Yeah, he was. It, it was such a joy and so inspiring and so daunting. Well, okay, so I'm in the band, right? Very first day, his manager takes me down to his house and explains that <clears throat> normally the musical director in a Jeff Beck band is the keyboard player. And since I'm triggering keyboards with guitar, I'm it. And I'm just crapping myself wondering if I can last with the band and all of a sudden I'm the musical director. And <laughs> just like the bubble in my head is going, oh shit, let's see how this goes. And it was so stressful. But because of Jeff's personality, it was so laid back. He, he was just like a kid. In fact, Johnny Depp said they they spoke of themselves as um, not geriatric wasn't the word, but elderly toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> just because you know farts were funny forever, and I'm right up there with them. So. Uh, he was just a real joyous guy to, to work with. And I, I will say I put every working, every waking moment into working on the show and working out sounds and trying to get Max Middleton sounds and Jan Hammer sounds and just, you know, I, I gave him what he needed. I mean, he needed, needed support and he wanted new material. And so all my free time, I'd be writing, um, giving him grooves and tunes and, it, uh, you know, it's just such a stunning out of the blue collaboration. I just relished it. So I, I had no problem spending all of my time on it for three years. And after three years and two records, I, I remember we were in his living room. It was me and Jeff and the bass player, Randy. And Randy said something like, that's all we got, <laughs> you know? there's nothing left in the oil can because we have given everything. And at first I was kind of shocked to hear him say that 
because in my mind, I'd wanted to be in this situation forever. And then I realized he's right. I, I had nothing left. I, I was just completely burnt out. And I mean, it's, it's wonderful to realize that and leave rather than him going, ah, you guys aren't giving it to me anymore. I need to look for other people. Um, and it was in Jeff years, being with him for three years is a long time because he would change players always. I mean, he did two records with Rod Stewart and two records with Bob Tench and, you know, the guitar shop trio only lasted one record, which was really sad because it was such brilliant music with Terry and Tony Hymas. Um, but I, I've read so much stuff after he passed that I didn't realize he was really bummed at that that record, the guitar shop record didn't sell better. And the same with the techno stuff that I did with him, that um, he really thought, okay, we're doing some really off the wall, modern stuff here. And it didn't take off like he had hoped. Fortunately, the Emotion and Commotion record was really well received. The ballads on that and vocals, of course, vocals are a lot easier to sell. But yeah, it was, it was a real, <clears throat> blessing and he'll be sorely missed and I've I've gone back into years and years of emails back and forth and most of it's comedy <laughs> 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 um, it's been a, go ahead I was just gonna say um, when was the last time you saw Jeff before he passed uh, I saw him last September in Houston and uh, th there's a, a buddy of mine Jesse Solomon and I would um, go on pilgrimages i call <laughs> like every tour he did i would go see him somewhere at least once and i remember one this was really magical i had a uh, i was doing a, a south american clinic tour for washburn and i landed in bogota and the people that picked me up said hey jeff is playing tonight i go when are we done <laughs> you know <laughs> and it just happened like the clinic was seven to eight thirty and i signed a few autographs and got the fuck out of there and went to jeff's show front row and spent the evening partying with him so you know there, there's so many magical things that happen that you you couldn't anticipate i mean just being his buddy one time he he picked me up from the airport and we went straight to to ronnie scott or ronnie woods has a, a private restaurant in london or did at that time and we went there and had dinner and I, I just looked like shit. I just got off a plane. I'm just looking like a hippie with a Pendleton and jeans. And you know, it was kind of a fancy club. So I felt a little out of place, <laughs> but we had dinner with Ronnie. And then we ended up going back to Ronnie's house afterwards. And I saw one of his paintings, you know, he does paintings of the stones. It was on an easel half done. And then we went down into his studio and listened to the entire box set of Little Richard which is something I would never, ever do on my own. But in that setting, it was so magical. And I was so jet lagged. The two of them started jamming at the end of the night. And part of me, my mind was going, this is the only chance I will ever have to jam with Ronnie Woods. And the other part was going. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I didn't, but I listened to the two of them. <laughs>
what I love is while you've been talking about Jeff, your face has just beamed. Like you look so happy and so proud of those memories of that time you spent working with him. It's amazing to see that even after all these years, you're so passionate about that work you did with Jeff. Beautiful to see. Yeah, it was a real blessing. A real blessing. Those those times were just, you know, it, it, impossible to put into words. It, it, anybody that's traveled with him knows, but nobody else really knows. Because when he's on stage, he said one time that when he would go up to the mic to speak to the audience, his knees would buckle. It's just really uncomfortable. And I think that's in part why he kept that hairstyle all those years, because there was a shield. He'd be looking at his guitar and there's a shield between him and the audience. Um, He's a really humble guy. Uh, but, you know, once the party, the, the gig is over time and we'd be drinking champagne and doing fart jokes and just, it's unbelievable. <laughs> um, we, <laughs> actually, one night in a bar, <clears throat> this was the best ever, his engineer, T Tony Tavener, longtime friend of his, was with us in a bar after a show. And at one point, I'm, I'm sitting here with Jeff here and Tony Hymas here, and we're talking about music. And across the room, Tony Tavener does one of those arm farts like you do when you're eight. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so brilliant. And then that's what we did for the rest of the night. We were just working on tone. And <laughs> it just became a contest that we did every single night after the show. We would get out a stopwatch and see who could do it the longest without laughing. And that lasted for months, just endless entertainment to the point where um, I think that that had to be in the UK or somewhere in Europe. And we did an American tour and it, it evolved from that to whoopee cushions to, you know, one night I, I was had insomnia in Japan and I go on farts.com like you do when you have insomnia in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up buying this plastic cup that had putty in it and you stick your fingers in it and just the most brilliant just ridiculous <laughs> and you always know that be better jeff and i blew out the other band members they just said fuck it they went to the back of the bus they couldn't stand it anymore and so jeff and i every night we'd be doing this and i ended up with a allergy to it so rather than stop i just got gloves so i could continue <laughs> one night <laughs> One night, the bus driver pulls back the curtain and he goes, y'all ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he was absolutely correct, but it was endlessly entertaining to us. And apparently that's what Johnny Depp brought to the party as well. So... I mean, I gotta be honest, Jennifer. When I originally emailed you to arrange this, I never once thought we'd be talking about fart jokes with Jeff Beck. This is just <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the audience that doesn't know him just sees him as a serious musician and a god, and you just wouldn't think of all of his best friends were comedians. Like uh, Vic Reeves was a really close friend for oh. many years. Um, Pete Richardson, who did uh, Stella Street and produced a lot of comedy. So that's that's his world. It's amazing. Hot rods, music, and comedy. Phenomenal. Mate, you've you've got to travel all over the world, Jennifer. Like, where's where's been your favorite place to play? Um, gosh, Japan. I love Japan. It's magical. 
absolutely magical. Best food in the world, most respectful people in the world. I remember on the, on the bad tour, I mean, people would take pictures of us walking in the street and meet us at the airport with framed pictures the next day. It was just crazy. Yeah, walking on the plane with all these crazy gifts. Um, Ireland is super beautiful. I've, I've seen a lot of Italy. I had an agent there and I had the most beautiful seafront gigs uh, doing my solo show mostly. Well, with bands too. Spain is, is gorgeous. So those, those are some of my faves. It, no, it's I'm... a lot easier when it's an English speaking country, honestly. Um, I was just, I was just in Brazil and I was thinking surely in Sao Paulo and, and, um, Rio, they're going to have a lot more English speaking people get fed was really difficult. I ended up doing a QR code and scanning pictures of food that I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, this, this poor bastard, uh, he knew I was trying. And because I'm playing with a band, I, I hear them count off tunes and two is Doyce. So I thought, oh, okay, I know, thank you, and two. So I, told, I, told, I thought I was telling the waiter, I want to order two things, soup and pasta. He brought me two pastas and soup. And I go, oh, Jesus, I, I shouldn't even try. Just show this picture and this picture. <laughs> so that's some of my adventure. Incredible. Jennifer, you've, your career has been amazing. Just to sit here and talk to you about, you've achieved so many amazing things, like the music we discussed, performed with Slash in Japan, I believe I read. You've made instructional DVDs all the way to perform with Cirque du Soleil. Like, there's so much stuff we haven't even had to talk about. But if you were to look back and have like a couple of standout moments from your career, like those best days at the office, what might they be? Oh, absolutely. The Beck years. That, that was just phenomenal. Always exciting. You never knew what was going to happen or what you'd be invited to. Um, being down at his house, I told him it was like, hanging with Hansel and Gretel here at Greta, <clears throat> a three-story, like 14th century mansion with all this property. I went to his wedding reception there and Layla flew in by helicopter, you know, <laughs> and Paul McCartney was there and Jimmy Page and it's just, you know, stuff that would never ever have happened if I hadn't been in his band just uh I, i've been trying to write down a lot of memories since he passed because it, it's just so shocking and it's, all this stuff is flooding back it's just crazy it's amazing before we let you get out of here though what are you working on at the moment anything you can talk about or anywhere you're playing anything like that uh well i'm home for the summer so i've been rehearsing my band uh we we start Friday and we're playing all summer and then September I'm taking off to where the hell am I going? Um, uh, Columbia. I got a, a couple gigs there and then a tour in the UK with Navi with the King of Pop show. Then beginning of October, I'm playing with one of the Brazilian guys uh, in Lisbon and Porto <clears throat> um, doing a, another Jackson tribute. Uh, it's, it's kind of, I wake up and the email tells me, it's like Mission Impossible. Your mission today is to book November. 
And I'm long overdue to do more instructional videos, so I keep thinking about it and not doing it. But there's there's a lot of things I'm really interested in doing, like whammy bar techniques. And I'll tell the company, that's what I want to do a video on. And they'll go, well, that's not going to be a big seller. It, you know, doing a beginner's course would be great. And I'm, for me, that's such a snore. I'm sure it would sell well, but I want to do things that really fire me up. So nobody knows what the next thing will be. So just a lot of live playing right now. Uh, I, I would say six months ago, I was doing nonstop recording, everything from new age to super hardcore heavy metal. Uh, yeah, just just crazy. I, I love it too, because it, it challenges me. And I played with um, his name, Micah. He's, he's known as Mr. Fastfinger out of Norway, or, and he's from Finland. It's kind of known in the guitar world, and he had me play on a track. It was in 5-4, so that was a challenge. It, it came out really good. Um, and, and I'm making more videos. I, I kind of, I'm adding more Jeff Beck songs. I just added this song called Porcupine, and I make a video for my solo show to, to play that stuff live. So um, that's what I'm doing. I, I'm actually I, I'm super motor mouthing today, but I'm on a tone quest. I'm, I recently got into Sir guitars, and it, it's just bonkers. It sounds so much better than the guitar I was playing. And so I'm thinking, well, God, if this sounds good, what about this guitar and that guitar? So I'm just going <laughs> bonkers up my game right now. I, I mean, I've been endorsed for so many years, and it's been a blessing and a curse because that's the company you're with so don't be looking next door now ah, jesus i gotta go um i'm a free agent and it's kind of exciting and expensive as fuck <laughs> <laughs> well as your phone keeps going off we'll say mr stevens do you have any more questions for our wonderful guest um just did you ever think this is where you would be when you were auditioning for bands in la did you ever think that obviously you'd be playing michael with jeff and, and doing your own stuff you know, I didn't think of anything specific, but I specifically did this meditation, honestly, for 30 days, this Buddhist chanting kind of thing for 30 days before I got the Jackson gig every day and every night. It took a long time. And I, I was in six bands at the time. I didn't like any of them. And I said, I just want to be in the right band. And boom, you know? <laughs> So I think there's something to be said for planting your thoughts in the universe and pulling things you. And, you know, you just can't sit at home on your ass doing nothing and hope something like that will happen. But just being in it, playing every day, spending time with the instrument, engaging with other people that are of like mind, things will happen. Oh, absolutely. Jennifer, thank you so much. This has been absolutely okay. unbelievable. It's been so much fun. Thank you. Sure. Cheers. Take care. So much. Yeah. What an absolutely incredible, incredible conversation. Those stories are amazing. And I truly love the passion in her voice when she was talking about that time with Jeff Beck. You could oh, see yeah. how much that time of her career meant to her. And I also love the fact I fucking broke her in the intro and I brought up the leather mask. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We, it, it, I think it's always something to be said. Um, when you can get people feeling comfortable 
uh, and start chatting away. It's a really, it's really nice to be able to sit there and have that conversation with her. And you know, we we like to make this show separate and different from everybody else that sits there. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why do you that? You know, and make it more fun and enjoyable. So, Jennifer, again, thank you so much for taking the time out. Um, I know we over, we went over on time, but we were enjoying it so much. It was just great to chat to you. Great to meet you. Um, we wish you all the best for the future going forward with tours, etc. And thank you so much for coming on the show. It truly meant everything to us. Uh, we're really excited to release it. So we really hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did recording it. Now that I can talk again. It's about getting into schools and talking to young people because, you know, I, I know that people can change. Uh, and, it, and it's about talking to people and getting them to understand and perhaps step back from violence and, and prejudice and whatever. And we just need to work together and keep on the good fight there. Absolutely. Hey there, guys. We are ecstatically happy to announce that we are associated with the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. The times are changing, and with the unfortunate death of Sophie, those changes have made a massive impact for the future. If Sophie was with us still today, I can guarantee what you are doing will still be reaching so many lives of young teenagers, young adults, and those who wish to be as different as possible. So thank you very much. To find out more about this incredible foundation and all the work they do, and more importantly, how you can help, head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com. Mr. Stevens. Yeah. Yeah. It's audience participation time. Pa, 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 wicked, wicked, pa, participate, bitch. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to participate in Jamie's participation challenge. The fact that Zoom came up with playing the music of a question mark and made me feel really good about myself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anyway, about three weeks ago, I said, <laughs> aliens, "Oh shit, yeah, <laughs> aliens! <laughs> do you believe? Will they visit us? Will they come in peace? What will they do if they visit us?" So, with that in mind, if aliens were to visit this planet Earth, what's the first thing you would do? What say you, Mister Stevens? Spit or swallow. <laughs> I wonder what they do do. Yeah. It must be something completely different. Oh, yeah. It's like like, like in Simpsons <laughs> where he just shoots the rag at the Marge. He goes, oh, you look fine tonight. Have you decreased in mass? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. It would either be, holy fuck! Like, what the hell are you doing here sort of thing? Or it'd be like, cool, well, I'm out of here. <laughs> I think genuine answer, yeah. I probably would just go bike and just fucking move as fast as possible. And then another part would be like, the fuck are you doing here? 
<laughs> in Birmingham, of all the places you could visit, Birmingham. We've heard, we've heard about your TikTok. We love the TikTok. We want to see TikTok. <laughs> we've heard you are great, a great planet of TikTok. That'd be the best way to stop them from destroying us. Just show them TikTok. They'd be lost for dumb, hours. Dumb them <laughs> down, yeah. <laughs> dumb them right down. So this is how you do the fly. Why does it sound like a robot? Oh, no. Oh, I am an alien. Look at me do that. <laughs> Fucking weird. It'd be more like... TikTok. Anyway... We want to do that. Flapping, flapping, flapping with my 27 arms. Sorry. Go on. Answers, <laughs> Jamie. Yeah, answers. Morning, answers. First off, we've got my son, Harrison. He says, I wouldn't be surprised if they came here, to be honest. I think the only reason they haven't been here already is because humanity's stupid. At that point, yeah. Don't argue with that. <laughs> Richie Rich says, the first things I would do is show them the White House and then show them number 10. I like your thinking, Rich. I like your thinking. Josh Clark, he says, I would ally with them, make myself friends with them. Just because I want to get off this fucking planet. Take me with you. <laughs> Jake Smith with possibly the most Jake Smith answer ever. I would probably try and clap some alien cheeks. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, but what if it's like teeth? Ooh. The movie, that oh, is. Yeah. I remember that movie. Oh. But it's not teeth. It's it, it probably just like, I don't know, like loads of hands and just like snaps everything. Oh, oh no, we don't like that. Oh, oh no. Oh, it fingers you in the ass. Oh. <laughs> or it actually just goes into like a massive globule and goes up your ass and becomes you. And then you die. Paul Bamford, yeah, Paul Bamford. Paul Bamford says... I'd probably watch Independence Day for a bit of a training refresh. Good show. Good show. Like that idea. Hang up <laughs> Will Smith, though. You're fucked. Good point, actually. I, I, I'm going to save this answer. I really like this one. I'm going to come back to that. Mally Malpass, the first of two answers for Mally. Be the first man to post a YouTube video of a human masturbating to actual aliens. Fuck's sake. Fair. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Motley Stew making an appearance says, I would probably make them watch aliens. Or Mars attacks. Yes. <laughs> if if there's ever two alien representations we want to give them, it's aliens yeah. and Mars attacks. This is your this is your depiction of us, you fuckers. <laughs> They'd probably go nuts and kill everyone. Nina Nina Hewitson says, I'd ask them why. Why in God's name do you want to visit here? Most of these answers are basically just saying humanity is fucked. Why are you here? Uh, Claire Jones says, I'd, I'd ask them how they built the pyramids. I like that. <laughs> Was it you? <laughs> Lucy Orchard, I'd show them pictures of my cat. Just because they're aliens doesn't mean they don't have to look at pictures of my cats. That's a genius move. <laughs> it's a great answer. Jason Gullick. Can they use a smaller probe next time? Because walking like James John Wade is not a good look for me. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Barrett, similar to another answer we had earlier, take them to our leaders in hope that they just vaporise them. There. Can't argue with that. Mally, I'll give you two more. Mally Malpass again. 
<laughs> simply shout, don't bother. There's no intelligent life here. Go back. <laughs> and last but not least, the one man that thought of a way to defend humanity against the aliens. Philip Stover. I'd find Brock, Brock Lesnar and send him to just go and defend us. <laughs> There's only one man those aliens are going to be scared of. It's fucking Brock Lesnar. <laughs> what a choice. <laughs> just look at me again. No, no. <laughs> oh, fucking love that one. Oh. We appreciate everybody who gets involved in Jamie's participation challenge. Granted, this one's been three weeks old, so thank you so <laughs> much for everyone that did participate. Um, it's good to be back, though. It's great to be back and get oh, involved yes. in next week. Get involved in next week's. Um, but if you enjoy Jamie's participation challenge, Tom's journal, Callum's treaching, especially when he's half naked, uh, the show and all the wanky box at the beginning and the interview, and you enjoy the other 94 issues of Chronicles of Podcasts plus Craig Wedron, wherever you get your podcast from, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google. Craig's interview is fucking amazing. He just didn't have a show to go with it. That's yeah. why I separated. Craig is a legend, a lovely bloke, and I highly recommend you go watch Yellow Jackets and support him, his band shirt thing, and just give him all the love you can. Anyway, um, I've done the Spotify bit, haven't I? Uh, you can also find us on YouTube um, <laughs> at the Chronicles of Podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. <laughs> Excuse me, terribly sorry. Uh, hit that bell to get notified of when new videos are released and comment to your fucking delicious little lives. So just get us out there, get us seen, throw us everywhere if you can. It'd be graciously appreciated. We'd really, I don't know why Jamie keeps acting out everything I say, but just there enjoy we are. Enjoy it, all right? <laughs> That's fair. Whatever. Um, you can also so you'll find on YouTube, you'll find our interviews are on there, every single one. Our shows are on there. Our hashtag WBW Wayback Wednesdays are on there. That's all our old interviews from our old channel, which are now on our new one, which are because they're ours. So fuck them. Who cares? Um, our live bloodstock interviews are on there from last year. Our bloodstock vlog is on there from last year. Our Dublin Cross vlog is on there. Uh, congratulations to them for one another award at the Swindon Film Festival this weekend. And uh, our 2000 Trees interviews are currently being uploaded on a daily basis uh with harriet's coming out today so please go and check those bad boys out as well you can find us on facebook at the chronicles of podcast make sure you like uh make sure you share it comment tell everyone we're putting jamie's doing an unbelievable job of putting reels out on the daily so make sure you check those out and share them everywhere as well because they're fucking excellent um and while i think about it i've now forgotten jamie where else could you find us Listening to all of Jennifer Batten's music, whether it be with On Her Own, with Jeff Beck, whoever she's helping out at the moment. Absolutely. Or on the Twitter. No, wait, hang on. On the X at TCO Pod. I don't know why Elon thought that was a great idea. But if you look at it, it says X. And when you go in, it says tweets. Huh? Hashtag tweet, tweet, hashtags, and that sort of stuff. It's still there. So marketing did a terrible, terrible job. And Weird, I can't dude. say Twitter anymore, which is which is heartbreaking and destroys me. But anyway, and whilst you listen to Jennifer Batten's music, whether it be with Jeff Beck, Michael Jackson, or all our own solo stuff, and looking at us on the X, uh, where else could you find us? Being really happy because Juventus won last night. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Or on the Instagram. Or there. (laughs) 
at TCO Pod. We're also on LinkedIn at the Chronicles of Podcast. Come and connect with us on there. We are on TikTok at TCO Pod at the Chronicles of Podcast. Come and find us on there. Like I said, reels on the daily. Go and watch the Chesney Hawks video with Jamie. You have to scroll a bit now though, because there's some fucking gorgeous content on there for you all to enjoy. Um, or you can come on down to our gorgeous little brand spankingly sexy little website at www.thechroniclesofpodcast.com. All about us on there. We've got our shop on there. You can buy yourself some merchandise, TCO Pod merch. Who doesn't want TCO Pod merch? I mean, I want all of it. Go and get some right now. Uh, all of our episodes are on there and all of our affiliations and sponsors are on there as well. So that's social media at TCO Pod and go and subscribe to us on YouTube at The Chronicles of Podcast. That's my piece done. And now to my gen- my lovely little co-host on this side here, over to Jamie for the weather. <laughs> Before I say thank you to a few of our friends, I realise I was still meant to mention at the start, two people we have worked with in the past and will again in the future in one case are coming together and releasing an incredible collaboration, which I cannot fucking wait to hear. Friday, the day this drops, our friends who played our live show Second Cities are releasing their brand new single. With fucking Ryan McCombs of Soil is joining them for this song. I cannot wait to hear this song. Everyone go and check it out right now. But we before we get out of here, let's say a massive thank you to a few of our friends. First, every single piece of music you hear on this show is brought to you by one man. One man. And that man is Mr. Singer-Songwriter himself, Matt Roberts. Go give Matt a follow on all the social medias at Matt Roberts Music. Go check him out on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your music from. Go listen to his entire back catalogue. His latest album, Light of Day, go give that a listen. And if you pay attention to his social medias, he's teasing something coming very soon. Cannot wait to hear it. His brand new single, Rat Race, also out today as this drops. Oh, there we are. I got couldn't remember the date. And you could save him. <laughs> and of course... We heard from him earlier. We have to say a massive thank you to Mr. Braden Barry and his Stay Cozy Clothing. Head on over to www.staycozyclothing.com or click on that smartphone app. And whatever you like the look of, add it to your basket. It could be that hoodie you see me sometimes wearing. It could be that T-shirt that Tommy's wearing right now. Not that one off his back, but one just like it. It could be that hat that Tommy's wearing right now. There is some incredible pieces of apparel in there. And let's not forget those bloody mugs. Those bloody beautiful mugs. Get your hand on one of those mugs. Whatever you like the look of, add that to your basket and use the discount code The Chronicles to get yourself 10% off your order. And if you're not already, go check out Braden's music as well. His last album, Beneath the Roses, is out and it's absolutely beautiful to listen to. One of the best albums of 2023 so far. Go give it a listen right now. And last but not least, it's our friends at the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. They are stamping out prejudice, hatred and intolerance everywhere. And we mean absolutely everywhere. It was amazing to spend time with the guys at 2003s a couple of weeks ago. We absolutely loved seeing them. And again, next week as we're recording, it's time for the Bloodstock Festival. If you're going to be at Bloodstock, please head on over to that tent. Buy a piece of merchandise, whether it be this beautiful hoodie that I'm wearing now. I absolutely love it. I live in this hoodie now. It's so damn comfy. Get yourself one of these hoodies. Get yourself a festival wristband because no doubt they're going to be great. If you're going to the Bloodstock, 
we're having another pink for Sylvia and Sophie day. Please make sure you are taking part. It means the absolute world. But if you are not going to be there and you still want to support the foundation, head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com. There are many different ways that you can help, whether it be sharing Sophie's story, whether it be sharing what they do with a teacher or someone that works in a school, whatever it may be, share that story out there. And please, everyone help us because people should not be being treated differently because of the music they listen to and the way they dress it is not acceptable it wasn't acceptable when this started happening in the 60s and 70s and it sure as shit is not acceptable now in 2023 so how about we put it to a stop and last but not least a massive thank you to my bloody handsome co-host who i've missed so very dearly thank you very much jamie right back at you right back at you and another glorious edition. It's great to be oh, back yeah. on the mic. Great to be back here doing what we do best. Oh, yeah. So big shout out again. A massive thank you to Jennifer, to Jennifer for coming on the show and sitting and chatting to us. We absolutely loved it. And uh, we hope you're doing well. Uh, and hope things are all going well uh, over there, over in the old state, the United States of America. Uh, and Jamie, um, another great edition, another great episode. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And as for this week, we will see you all next week for the Chronicles of Christopher Ward. Oh, yeah. Goodbye, everybody. Bye!